For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And let's have a quick look at the morning papers, uh, starting with the weather and a picture of uh, Rory uh, McElroy in a downpour. Heatwave eases as September gets back to normal. Ireland's glorious week-long Indian summer seems to have come to an end as showers and cooler temperatures will dominate the days ahead. As downpours and thunderstorms batter the country yesterday, Met Aaron predicted that more grey skies and showers are unfortunately at this time of the year inevitable. Today, rain will slowly spread southeastwards across the country before clearing from the north during the day. Brighter conditions will follow, but it has forecast that temperatures will be noticeably cooler with highest temperatures hitting 16 to a possible 20 when they were in the mid to high 20s last week. Uh, So tomorrow is going to be mainly dry, as we mentioned, with sunny spells and isolated showers, but significantly cooler again during the night at 4 degrees to 7 degrees Celsius. But Morocco is the big story over the weekend and what a lot can happen uh, from when you leave work on a Friday to when you come back on a Monday morning. Neil Michael reporting on the front of the examiner that the death toll continues to climb from one of Morocco's deadliest earthquakes uh, while latest estimates put the number of the uh, those who died at more than 2,000, officials are warning that figure will increase. Efforts are still continuing to try and rescue victims and also to tend to the 2,000-plus people who have been injured, uh, including uh, an estimated 1,200 who are classed as critical. Uh, there's going to be some uh, humanitarian efforts, many countries already have committed and Morocco has accepted their help Uh, and we'll get to that as the programme goes on today as well as deaths and injuries uh, and stories of harrowing personal tragedy and effort to save lives. The quake has laid waste to villages in and around the High Atlas Mountains. This is where the epicentre was, 72 kilometres southwest of Marrakesh. Friday night 6.8 magnitude earthquake is Morocco's deadliest since an earthquake in 1960 killed a massive 12,000 people. It's also left many thousands homeless and living on the streets, and experts are warning the next 48 hours will be critical for saving lives. As UNICEF Executive Director Peter Power said, the death toll is expected to rise. Some of the darker estimations are that it could double. Our teams are carrying out assessments to see if outside assistance is necessary, he said. We're going to keep the situation under review uh, as we get greater access to the most uh, more remote areas. And it's the remoteness and the topography, it's the hills and the rocks and the passes uh, that are uh, making it very difficult to get to people and get the help directly. Get us out of here, screams the headline uh, on the front page of The Sun. Marrakesh quake like a bomb. Irish family uh, tell of mayhem. Uh, those are the uh, the headlines there in that story. But an Irish family on holiday in Marrakesh have described the earthquake that rocked Morocco as like a bomb going off. More than 2,000 people were killed after the 6.8 magnitude earthquake struck the country, uh, causing extensive damage. Amber Raftery, her parents, three sisters and two of their partners were in their accommodation when everything started shaking. Uh, she said, it sounded like a train or something going by the house. Obviously, we'd never experienced anything like that, so it was really frightening. Unsure of what was happening, the family ran to the rooftop to see what was going on, and Amber said all you could see was dust, and the smoke of the city had risen, so it was like a massive cloud. I thought maybe 
for a second that a bomb could have gone off. Front page of the Sun today. Uh, fears over free GP visit plan. Uh, it's uh, it's just happening uh, from today. Uh, there will be 210,000 or so uh, more people uh, eligible to go and see their doctors for free. Uh, but the Echo headline reads, Fears over free GP visit plan. Uh, Care for the sickest first urges a Cork doctor. Breda Graham reporting there that a Cork doctor has welcomed initiatives to remove financial barriers for patients accessing health care, but said expanding free GP care without considering the public's health care needs is a concern. Nick Flynn, GP with My Cork GP Group, which is part of Centric Health, said that while GPs welcome Health Minister Stephen Donnelly's announcement of the opening of applications for GP visit cards for up to 215,000 people who are newly eligible, this will be means tested by the way, there are concerns over what it will mean for some patients. It is the first of two phases that will provide free GP care to an estimated 430,000 people in Ireland on a means-tested basis. As GPs, we welcome initiatives to remove financial barriers for patients accessing healthcare, including access to general practice, Dr Flynn told The Echo. However, this type of crude increase in eligibility without consideration of the population's healthcare needs is not, in my opinion, the best use of scarce healthcare resources. Uh, in this case, the uh, GP appointments, which are difficult to get. Well, not difficult, uh, but waiting rooms are full. Uh, GP patient lists are full. Uh, the system is burdened, and that is for sure. A postcode lottery, as thousands are refused mental health care, uh, is the front of the Irish Independent today. More than half of the children and teenagers referred to their local child and adolescent mental health services, CAMS, or COVs as it's spelled, uh, in certain parts of the country are being refused access. It comes as more than 4,000 children referred to the services this year were not accepted by the HSC. An analysis of new data shows dramatic regional variations in access with Cork and Kerry, the region with the longest waiting list for services. 850 Tuzla posts are vacant as services feel the pressure. Examiner front page, 13% surge in referrals to the agency. More than 850 posts are vacant in Tuzla, including senior positions at national and local level. Uh, Among the vacancies are 340 social work roles, 244 social care positions, and 162 administration jobs. It comes as the services of Tusla are under growing pressure, with the Child and Family Agency saying the war in Ukraine and other complex issues facing children and families in Ireland today have led to increased demand for services and support. The vacancies include a social care leader for Cork, a principal social worker for Waterford and Wexford, a domestic violence and abuse liaison officer for the Midwest and a national manager for Tusla's education support service, which dealt with 6,199 children in the 21-22 school year. There are also rolling recruitment campaigns for social work and social care staff in uh, Leinster. And I know that Garda vetting uh, is uh, is one of the factors in that equation, that it takes a long time. I wonder, could uh, resources be sent in that direction to allow those who are willing, entitled and qualified to work at Tusla uh, able to get through their uh, Garda vetting uh, a little quicker. A pair is stable after a train collision. Two brothers injured after a train struck the car they were travelling in are in a stable condition in hospital. The horror incident 
happened at an unattended uh, level crossing at about quarter past three on Saturday in Gary Redmond, uh, a townland outside Clare Morris in County Mayo. Uh, okay, Rome couple killed by cocaine driver. Blood test shows drug and system after fatal crash as tributes paid. The driver of the car that killed two Irish tourists in Rome had cocaine in his system. Tragedy as mother and son perish in fire at their home. Uh, you may have seen this on the national TV news last night. A tight-knit community in total shock as pair die in an accidental early morning house blaze. An elderly mother and her son, said to be steeped in their community, died in a fire at their home yesterday. GA matches being uh, postponed uh, across the county. Mother of four, Kathleen Lynch, was in her 80s and her son Michael Lynch, who was 53, died after their home caught fire shortly before 2am on Sunday. Front of the Irish Times has leaving search students may get road safety lessons. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. Minister says raising awareness in schools could curb worrying trend in road debts. It's common sense really, but road safety lessons for leaving search students are being considered by Minister for Education Norma Foley in the wake of recent deaths involving young people on Irish roads. Ms Foley wrote to the Road Safety Authority last week uh, seeking to explore avenues to enhance road safety education within schools, especially during senior cycle. McGrath planned to slash hated USC. Page two of The Sun. Finally, that dreaded tax is in the firing line. The government plans to slash the hated universal social charge in next month's budget, it's been claimed. I wouldn't say slash now. And there'll be a slight reduction downwards, I'd say. Maybe they'll be more ambitious. Who knows? The controversial austerity uh, tax was brought in as part of a number of despised measures following the banking crash and the following recession. And of course, then, the government got to like it a lot because it brought in a lot of money. Uh, but a cut would, uh, would help every worker in successive governments vow to introduce changes as Ireland returned to prosperity. But it's remained in place. Now the Finance Minister Michael McGrath is set to favour making big changes to the USC as part of an 11 billion uh, euro budget to tackle inflation and the cost of living crisis. At present, anyone on a salary of 13,000 or less doesn't pay USC while it's charged at 2% on your next 10,908, 5% on your next 47,144 and 8% on the balance. It now looks like Minister McGrath intends to introduce widespread changes to these thresholds when he delivers Fianna Fáil's first budget in 13 years next month. Um, Fianna Fáil's first budget in 13 years. Okay, I suppose, yeah, with him as, uh, as the uh, Minister for Finance. Fair enough, point taken. Bailey heart attack has the son. Sophie suspect, I felt weak. Murder suspect Ian Bailey is fighting for his life after suffering two heart attacks in a week and moaned, I felt like I was going to die. The man who was investigated as a significant person of interest uh, in the Sophie Toscan Duplantia killing is being treated at Cork University Hospital. He was arrested twice in relation to Sophie's killing, but has never been charged and he's always maintained his innocence. He has always denied any involvement in her death. That's front of the sun. Finally... Uh, time is going by and uh, we'll finish on this one uh, the male has after three weeks Kissgate soccer chief finally quit Spanish soccer chief Luis Rubiales has announced that he will quit his position following weeks of controversy after he kissed player Jenny Hermoso at the Women's World Cup the beleaguered president of the Spanish Football Federation had defied calls to step down and the ensuing scandal 
had threatened to overshadow Spain's victory. Those are the morning papers. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106 Red FM. Monday morning coming up to uh, 25 past nine and, and let's uh, bid good morning to Rebecca Powell who is a mixed media textile artist and based in West Cork but lived in Morocco for seven years and returned home recently. Good morning to you Rebecca. Hello. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. How are you? You you must uh, you must be still kind of shaken and in shock, are you? I I I kind of keep going through waves of desperate sadness and shaking and throwing up and all sorts, you know. Every time I see a friend's post or or speak to somebody there, it's just it's just so overwhelming and so heartbreaking. Now, you lived in these villages for the best part of seven years, so you were ingrained in society there. You got to know their cultures and their habits. Uh, you obviously made a lot of friends there. Uh, and, Very and, much so. And, and to, to be home when this happened, how, how, did, how did you find out? A friend of mine in Canada who was actually over on holidays um, with me Call, uh, sent me a message at two o'clock in the morning and said there's been an earthquake in in, in Morocco. So I called immediately uh, a friend of mine that is, lives in the same village I was in and uh, heard what happened then. And I've just been following it and following it and um, talking to people and you know trying to find out more. Uh, the images are starting to come out. And, and um, is, is is this a kind of a nine eleven moment where people are ringing? Friends of people, people on the ground, people are saying, is this phone working? Is that phone working? Let's find out about that family. Let's find out if these guys survived. Is that kind of what the collective effort is remotely? Because you can't do much else. There is no internet. There is no coverage. There is no power. There's no way for villages to find out what's happened to another village other than walking over the mountains and having a look. And what's happening is people are doing that and they're finding utter devastation. Do you intend to go back and maybe assist in the effort? Well, um, I would love to. I think it would absolutely break me if I did because um, seeing the reality from my own eyes would just be too horrific. Um, So what I'm doing is connecting with as many people as possible to get on the fundraising uh, bandwagon, trying to find if someone will put a truck together Let's get people donating the things they need. I'm going to try and do what I can from this side, and m- maybe when you know when when I'm able to, I'll go back and well, let's and visit let's, again, let's put but... a call out to Cork people right now because uh, and and you can quite quite e- easily tell us what the most effective items to collect and for people to donate would be. Now, obviously, it's going to be yeah, blankets. I spoke to yeah, I spoke to um, my colleague just before I spoke to you to ask him updated as of this morning what do they need and the thing is um there are villages that are so remote that no one can get to them yet to know if they still exist or if the people are still alive um so basically he said what they still need is shelter in the form of tents sleeping bags blankets nights are cold now um food water nappies for kids um personal hygiene items for women, um, uh, um, first aid. Okay. Those are kind of top of the list. 
There's many billions being spent, you know, a couple of thousand miles from this disaster, uh, essentially killing people. And do the people of Morocco have any drone technology to map out what's happening? Any helicopter support and relief uh, machinery that could drop uh, supplies to people? So I would say yes to most of the above, but it's limited. Mm -hmm. So like drone technology is is very uh, monitored there. Only the government or or registered agencies will be allowed to use them anyway. So um, that's a bit of a dodgy area. Um, um, They have helicopters and they are dropping food and they are dropping machinery. But again, it's limited. So I was also asked um, about medical helicopters, things like that. So if... If there's anybody outside of Morocco that could that could provide some kind of um, search and rescue by air, that would be fantastic. Yeah, um, so, so the best way to to get stuff from here oh, to there would be to get volunteers to drive vans. Yeah, but you can't actually get into any of these places. They're all the roads are blocked with with rockfall. So what it, what is the solution then? Is is it to drop it by sea to the nearest open port? So, I mean, you talk, that's, a, that's a long drive, like Casablanca would be the nearest seaport. So, like, people are driving down through the country and there's drop-off points. So what we're hoping is, for example, we can get trucks in at Tangier Port and drive down through Marrakesh to Asni Village, which would have been the market village at the bottom of the, the road uh, where I lived, um, which is kind of near to the epicentre and a lot of houses are, are gone and businesses are gone in that area. So that would be kind of a focal point to, to bring stuff. And then people can come down to there and take it back up to the villages, either by foot or by mule. You know, that's kind of what we're looking at is is what, what animals have survived even, never mind humans as well, but animals as well. They all rely on mules and donkeys to to transport shopping and things like that, you know. Okay, now some uh, some locals in Kinsale, I believe, would have travelled there with you before, uh, would have yeah, had lunch in did. some of these families' houses, would have eaten they did. and drank in the local hostelries and all that, and would be very familiar with the area. Uh, so I imagine, I imagine there'll be some support coming from Kinsale. The people of Ireland are never found wanting when it comes to uh, disaster relief assistance. Yeah. Uh, the, the only thing is getting a couple of vans or three or four vans to drive down. There's going to be pretty ad hoc. I, I just remembering last week a report I, I, I read about the commercial property in uh, in the county Cork uh, at being about twelve to fourteen percent unoccupied. So what I'm hoping mm-hmm. is that somebody listening right now would have uh, a warehouse or an unoccupied uh, commercial property that they would donate for your use for free, uh, you know, for the for the course of two or three weeks, maybe a month. Uh, and that would be a huge, big-hearted um, gesture if somebody would do that. And at least it would allow you to centralise uh, the drop-offs and the logistics of everything. Would that be a good idea? Okay. Somebody got on to me yesterday evening, actually, from Kinsale. And she was partly involved in trucks going to Ukraine. So she's given me a contact in Bandon who has trucks and a warehouse. So I'd be getting onto them after I talk to you. Okay. Uh, I, I think it would be nice if you had an outlet or a, or, or a warehouse uh, to accept, not an outlet, but to accept exactly. these goods somewhere around the ring road for the city, somewhere where it's accessible to, 
to more people than you know than it's too far a distance to travel not that people oh, right. travel they're very big hearted like but let's see if we can get you a place maybe a central logistics place where uh, and then you can have the right proportion of blankets the right proportion of warm clothes the right proportion of first aid going into each of the travelling vans just an idea but yeah. uh, this is really a call out to anybody who can help so the stage is yours what are we looking for we're looking for vans we're looking for a bit of warehousing if we can. Uh, we're looking for donations because we'll need to buy fuel. Obviously, obviously. yeah. Uh, but we're well, all. I mean, cash money, cash money. Like you know, as I said, I asked this morning, what what do people need right now? So those are the things that people need right now: uh, food, water, shelter, um, and things for you know small children and so on. But going forward, they need money to help them buy materials to rebuild. So, you know, money, cash donations are obviously kind of top of the list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anybody that goes onto my Facebook pages will see all the links that are going up all the time for people that I know personally uh, who are doing fundraising. Um, And, you know, I'll I'll also be posting this morning um, the village associations are with their bank accounts. So people can go instead of putting to the larger, what you call it, um, associations that the money won't reach the mountains. These will be mountain villages that are desperate for help. Okay, and, so people and, can and pay directly a, into their bank accounts. And this will be a not-for-profit in totality. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Your heart's in the right place because you've lived there. Uh, to tell me about yeah. the topography of the High Atlas Mountains. The word "high" would uh, would give you a clue, anyway, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, let's for so for example, I lived just above the height of Corantool. Um It's extremely rocky very loose rock so i mean there's a lot of rock fall now um so you've got high mountains and low valleys and people live kind of on the sides of the mountains and then the the bottom of the valleys would be where they'd grow all their fruit and nut trees and uh uh fodder for their few animals you know and then the river of course is there which would be where some people still wash their clothes and and stuff like that um so each so there's a there's a there's a few valleys that run uh, almost sort of side by side. So in order to get to them, you have to cross over mountain passes, which could be um, 2,000 metres up, upwards. So it's, it's, it's um, a simple a lot life. Of the villages, they're, they're, they're eking out a hard, a hard-fought life in the mountains, you're saying, absolutely. With, you know, with donkeys doing transport through the mountain passes. Absolutely. Um, and is, it a, is it a world of electricity, any technology, mobile phones, or is it a much simpler They all life, have mobile phones, they all have, they? and that's how they communicate. Okay, watching live pictures um, now on Sky News as we speak, and it's utter devastation. Yeah. My friend um, Alice Morrison, uh, who is a journalist and adventurer, lives in Imlil, which is about eight kilometres up the road from where I lived. And uh, she's actually just put on, uh, it's gone live on on, on um, BBC with some pretty horrific stuff. Um, and she also put a podcast out and she was telling how she cycled across to the next valley. Um, as a journalist, she wanted to, you know, put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked to one young girl who, um, she, she, she'd spent the night in Marrakesh and only for that she would have been dead because her eight family members are all dead and her father and her little boy are still not being recovered from under the rubble. Just 50 miles away. So, Yeah. So she feels guilty for being alive. So you're dealing with massive 
like the communities there are just incredible how they will pull together and how they are pulling together, but they're so remote um, that people just aren't able to reach them with what they need, you know? And as I said, people are looking down on villages that have just been completely, they're just gone. They're not there anymore. It's obvious to me, the Rebecca, village that next these to where I was are, living is gone. It's obvious to me these people are very, very dear to you. They are. They are. They're just amazing people. And, you know, they're very much like the Irish in many ways. If they'll invite you in for the tea and, you know, cake and whatever they've got, they'll give you, you know. They're just the loveliest people. So let's get a little bit of action on on the ground here for them. Uh, Your Facebook page for anybody who wants to help uh, and and follow is Karima, K-A-R-I-M-A, Rebecca Powell Artist. Uh, Karima Rebecca Powell Artist Uh, and we can guarantee that any support will get directly to those who need it it's going to be a logistical nightmare getting it there and getting getting it to the people who need it but you'll make every every effort in that regard um, just you know if if people want to drive they must have a green car to get in at Tangier Port please say again if anybody wants to do the drive they must have a green card Ah. to get through the port at Tangier okay you need a green card. How and easily are they available? You have to, I think you have to do it online. I, I've never had, I don't drive anymore, so I, I don't actually know the system. I've been with people when they've had one in their hand and it's Okay, yeah, so if you're going to apply online, it's, 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 it's not the rigours of going to an embassy for a visa or anything like that. No, 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 no. But I mean, if they're international drivers, they should be covered anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd like to add one more thing that was... Um, I, Rashid said to me this morning, please tell people if they've booked holidays, don't cancel because every bit of support will help them, you know. So by keeping, you know, your holiday booking and going, um, like if your accommodation is out in the mountains somewhere, obviously that's going to have to be looked at and, and, and somebody will have to be in touch to change your accommodation. But he said, Marrakesh is fine. The other cities are all fine. Um, and that's where most of the tourists would go from here anyway. Yeah, I've got a statement here be- from the Irish Travel Agents Association in response to the earthquake in Morocco. And um, this, let me just read it for you and see if you agree. The ITA are deeply saddened to hear of the tragic loss of life and devastation. The majority of Irish travellers holiday in the area of Agadir. And that's yeah. 250 kilometres from the epicentre of the earthquake. The local airport remains open and flights continue to operate. Irish tour operators on the ground in Marrakesh are reporting that holidaymakers in the area are safe. If you're in an yeah. affected area, we'd, we advise you to monitor local news reports and follow any advice or instructions issued by local authorities. Your accommodation provider or local tour operator uh, staff on the ground. Or you can uh, monitor www.dfa dot ie forward slash travel and if possible keep your mobile phone fully charged and turn it on to roaming to receive alerts from local authorities um, they're monitoring the situation they're not asking anyone to cancel flights which would would be yeah. in rough alignment with yourself uh, the tourism yeah, dollar coming in, that's as they correct. Say, the tourism dollar is going to be very important uh, to the support mm-hmm. of these people it is already <laughs> That's it, the majority of the people that live in the mountains work with tourism. So either they're mule drivers or they're drivers or it's accommodation um, or they grow food for the markets or whatever. They all support tourism. So okay. it's absolutely vital that that, that that isn't broken, you know. OK, John O'Connell is from Project ESPWA uh, and are looking to send aid out there. Can you hang on there, Rebecca? Good morning, John. Morning. How are you doing? What's your effort going to involve? 
Well, look, again, it'll be down to we getting a need list that's required for the area and probably, I would imagine, treat for the four weeks collection and uh, send out a container. Okay, so it's going to be a container that goes out. Now, you've previously... You've previously sent aid to Haiti, uh, Ukraine. I know you're working on a project we dealt with last week, uh, considering the, the fires in uh, in Maui, and you're working on that one. So you have some experience in this area. Yes, we have quite a bit of experience in sending aid around different parts of the world. Okay, so maybe we'll put you in touch with Rebecca, and maybe there's a dovetail here. Maybe there's some way that you can you can both cooperate, because Rebecca certainly would have the on-the-ground knowledge that you might be lacking, John. No, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's because important, but I mean, uh, I mean, you get the need list as well, which is very important for, yeah, yeah. The, for the area. I mean, and it has to be reflective of uh, the time scale involved in when we get the list together and the shipping time as well. So you could be looking up to maybe six, eight weeks' time before it actually might arrive. A lot of these people won't have six to eight weeks. So, what, what if we were to speed up the well, effort and. and, and and beseech people to bring the the articles quickly. Where where, where do people drop articles for you? Uh, we have a warehouse in, out near Coralie Dripsy is called. It's just beyond in in Escaladem. Okay, up beyond Escaladem. We'll get more details on that. Uh, but I think Rebecca, you 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 could advise that this is going to take. Uh, a gargantuan effort to not even logistically getting stuff down three or four weeks is going to be difficult. Mm. So we we need to begin the collecting now. Yes, we do. Oh, absolutely. absolutely, yeah. Okay, we're, we're going to put you guys in touch. John, your phone line is absolutely terrible, so I, so I leave you there. Let's, and uh, let's wrap it up, uh, Rebecca. We're looking at uh, warm blankets, warm clothes, first aid, personal hygiene items for ladies. Uh, anything else? Um, I, anything to do with food, shelter, comfort, warmth, I guess. Yeah, nappies for kids. Um, in regards to the food items, um, people need I to guess. be aware that that that, uh, that they need to be uh, dry goods, and obviously um, they're Muslim. So uh, you know, if there's any like no meat or anything like that, because it won't be halal. Um, so you know, respect the culture, obviously. Okay, maybe do a little um, research. What, like, what, what about tinned items in sauce? That that kind of thing. When you tinned say items are fine again, so long as it doesn't have meat products in it. Okay, so so beans and pulses and uh, all that yeah. kind of thing, fine. Yeah, things that have good life, you know. Um, I mean, that what the the staples there would be: tea, sugar, flour, uh, pasta, rice. Um, um, yeah, because they make everything anyway. Yeah, easy to buy uh, and easy to donate. Now, I think what people are lacking now is, is a central point of uh, of drop off, if you like, and that's what we look for today. Yeah. Uh, but let's get moving on it. Will you Will you stay in touch with us, Rebecca? Because this is a this is an, an international disaster, really. Well, it's an inter- yeah. it's it's a national disaster that's uh, that's garnering uh, international support, and we don't want to be found wanting when it comes to offering our little Brilliant. bit of support per person, per family, whatever it can be, whatever you can afford. Really appreciate it. But we're going to need a GoFundMe or we're going to need something to concentrate on to get the funding in and we're going to need that uh, all-important warehouse. If somebody has one uh, in good proximity to the city, then we can get Cork's effort going. That'll be brilliant. Okay, Rebecca, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch with you and thank you very much for your insight into what's going on there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much Cheers. for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. 16 minutes to 10. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. 14 minutes to 10. We're getting some texts from people who say, did, did he say go to Morocco 
are not going to Morocco because we're booked uh, for a holiday. And it's kind of two different uh, things, really. You know, the pleasure of going on a holiday to a remote, to, to a part that's remote from a disaster zone. You know, I, I think some people will almost feel guilty uh, going to Morocco when there's so much death and uh, devastation. But apparently it's safe to do so. And as you've heard from Rebecca, who uh, has many, many years on the ground there, please, please don't cancel. Uh, obviously, safety first and look at all the directives. Uh, but apparently the majority of Irish travellers holiday in the area of Agadir. Uh, and that's uh, 250 kilometres from the epicentre of the earthquake. So we'll be like going to Bodrum. If you're in Bodrum when the Turkish earthquakes happened, uh, that area was remote and unaffected and remained a holiday area. And of course, the um, the tourism dollar, as they call it, uh, is very, very important. So the majority of Irish travellers holiday in the, in the area of Agadir, 250 kilometres from the epicentre of the earthquake, and the local airport remains open and flights continue to operate. Irish tour operators on the ground in Marrakesh are reporting that all holidaymakers in the area are safe. So if you're going to Marrakesh or Agadir uh, in general, uh, you should be okay. If you're in an affected area, please monitor local news and follow any advice or instructions issued by the local authorities. Uh, and I know that people are thinking, well, we could be in a safe area now, but the uh, the earthquake could happen again, another earthquake in a different area. And that's understandable too. Uh, we have uh, the Eve Branson Foundation working quickly with our partners to lead a coordinated response uh, so that uh, we can get emergency relief on the ground in ASNI and support long-term recovery efforts, providing help and relief for families uh, and staff. Uh, and uh, it's our priority and to aid long-term recovery efforts. Uh, they've had 436 donors. Uh, their total goal uh, is €186,000. They've reached 90 already, so well uh, done uh, to them. Uh, they have 436 donors already, five monthly donors. They have a fundraiser uh, already organised, and uh, that's all on day one, so well done for the rapid response there. The earthquake hitting the High Atlas Mountains about 50 miles from Marrakesh with a strength not recorded in the region in 120 years. Remote villages have been the worst affected and hundreds of families need help. The quake has left extensive damage, toppling homes, destroying vital infrastructure and leaving a yet untold number of people in need of rescue and uh, and help in hard-to-reach areas. This project will power our efforts to close gaps in response and lead long-term recovery. There's going to be so many efforts here and so many local communities getting together to do their little bit. I just wonder where all the coordination will come together to get the effect desired. But all donations to this project, this is the Eve Branson Project, the Eve Branson Foundation, uh, will support Morocco earthquake relief and recovery efforts in the Asni Valley. Initially, the fund will help meet the immediate needs of families for food, fuel, clean water, medicine, and shelter. The fund will then transition to focus on recovery efforts in the impacted areas around our programs to restore damaged homes, build infrastructure and more as needs uh, evolve. And the long-term impact, of course, uh, the fund will address that. Uh, they really seem to know what they're doing. They're going to uh, rebuild housing for hundreds of families, provide a stable infrastructure for roads, schools and public buildings uh, and support efforts to restore cultural uh, tourism programs, allowing Berber people in Asni and its surrounding village to move forward. And uh, the resources here, we're happy to call them out, uh, as we will any effort uh, that uh, will help those beleaguered people in Morocco, uh, is www.eve, E-V-E, Eve Branson Foundation 
www.evebransonfoundation.org.uk www.evebransonfoundation.org.uk And the Eve Branson Foundation is located in Marrakesh in Morocco uh, and so very well placed to to help in that regard. Uh, It's uh, just turned 10 to 10 and a very interesting article uh, uh, that I read um, just this morning really uh, by Katrina Redmond, who we tried to contact, but we can't seem to get through to her. If love to talk to her, uh, if at all she would contact us. Uh, it's all about the cost of food, which is causing upset at tills, with consumers starting to realise that the price they pay now results in uh, taking home less food in the shop. Now, this has uh, coined the term shrinkflation. Uh, so the cost of food continued to increase, but you're buying it in smaller packets. So uh, I would love to talk to Katrina Redmond or if anyone in the uh, examiner office uh, is listening and could maybe get uh, her number to us or indeed uh, to get her to contact us. It's a very engaging article. Uh, You'll go to, for instance, you're you're buying your dog treats uh, and the packet had seven dog treats, seven kind of dental sticks kind of things. Um, And suddenly you notice there's only five, but the price is the same. That's essentially what we're talking about here, and it is called shrinkflation. So in that regard, we'd love to speak to Katrina Redmond. Morris is on uh, line two. Good morning to you, Morris. Hello, Mick. Uh, we've been covering uh, very heavily road safety last week and, and things around that issue. It's still in the papers today, as the front of the Irish Times uh, shows. Leaving search yes. students may get road safety lessons. Common sense prevailing at last. Uh, people have been ringing this program and calling for that uh, for years. Um, but you're wondering, could we assist you and do a bit for you? Well, no, I was after contacting um, Seamus there in August, but uh, between the jigs and the reels, I went off on holidays and he wanted me to come on, and so I got lost between the cracks, but it's come up again now okay. um, with that article this morning. And uh, I I'd agree wholeheartedly with that, that there should be some sort of state tuition there Um to assist young people to get driving, you know. Um, I've experienced there of, of bringing a couple of lads there, relatives of mine there, to um, the driving test centre. No, I, I haven't been out there doing a test in 18 years. I'm driving 25 years myself, right? Um, I, I, I drive HGVs professionally, right? So I started and worked my way up through all the licences, Mick, right? And it was much easier to do it when I was doing it. Today, they have to go out, you have to do the theory test. When they have that done, they must go off then and do 12 lessons with an approved driving instructor, right? You can't get a car. yourself are going to drive it because of the Clancy, um, the Clancy Amendment to the legislation, right? So you must now have somebody with you the whole time, even if you want a car, right, to drive around and be your accompanying driver. Now, do you know the time commitment that takes, Mick, for somebody to do that, right? It's, it's actually horrendous and it's, and it's unbelievably expensive as well when you think about it, you know? We also asked last week about the suitability of the test to, uh, to prepare young people especially for mm-hmm. for the real-life driving that happens there. Mm-hmm. Do you think the driving mm-hmm. test centre is in the wrong place? I, I actually think Wilton is a terrible location for the driving test centre um, because when you come out of that centre, like to even drive out the gate of it, it's too narrow, and they have it marked out like there's two lanes of traffic, like an in lane and an out lane. But in any other part of the world, it's a one-way system, right? Should be put in place out of But anyway, you come out of the test centre, Mick, and you arrive at a T-junction, 
there's no traffic control there. There's no lights to stop the traffic. You're expecting a learner now to pull out there. They're already nervous. Do you know what I mean? With the doing the theory beforehand, they're already nervous before they hit the road. And they're brought out into a very busy live road. Now you can go either left or right. If you go left, you're going straight down to the south ring. That's right. But if, so, if somebody comes down the hill, you know, pretty quickly... Uh, yeah, and, well, and you're, you're jerking on the brakes driver, yeah. you, 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 yeah. you can have failed before you leave the you failed the before you leave the centre I think it's school. ludicrous what's going on out there and I'm surprised like that's been managed by the road safety authority shouldn't they be in their interest to improve the safety on that junction in, in my opinion they should move the test centre completely out of there and put it down to Little Island or something like that because the pace of traffic down there is more relaxed you know compared to what's going on out there that's a, that's a live road and in my experience people are driving crazily around the learner driver. Do you know we, what I mean? When we, we, had a, there, we had a listener ringing last week called Trevor mm-hmm. who said that where he lives, he sees them doing the three-point turns and it's completely mm-hmm. non-reflective uh, of real driving. A simple test or a simple drive into a quiet estate mm-hmm. and they're using the mm-hmm. same ones all the time apparently. Uh, but they, I, I take your point, they're going out into a manic traffic situation from Sarsfield Road horrendous. down to the South Ring. Horrendous. And now, you're going down there, there has to be the, the lorries and everything flying at you, you know? Being the devil's advocate here, isn't the point of the test that you're meant to be able to drive in all conditions? So I don't want to be going against our own mm-hmm. narrative here. Um, oh. But you're, you're saying they should have a more comfortable entry to the test, mm-hmm. uh, if Nick, not to the main road went, system. If I went out there tomorrow to do a driving test, Nick, right? And I went out there with my experience of driving and went out there blind. I guarantee you I would fail the test. And it's you're driving so, how long? 25 years, and, and I drive HGVs, right? And I'm, I'm at this stage now, I'm over 20 years accident-free, and the, the only accident I did have was a reversing incident when I hit a parked car, right? Mm. And that was many, many months ago, right? And I did very little damage, and there was no injuries or anything like that. But I'm just saying to you, if I had to go out there now tomorrow and do that test to the standard that the RSA wanted done to, I would fail. I know I would fail because I would drive, like you just described, in a more common-sense, practical way, Right? And and like I said to you, Mick, when I started driving, I could get a car, Mick. I could get a little Starlet or a Fiesta, and I could insure it, and I put me to well place, right? And I drive away. Now, I know it was probably not the done thing at the time, but the guard used to turn a blind eye to it because there was no other way for you to I learn. There, no, there was a time that you could drive under L plates without mm-hmm. having the full driver, but I mean, obviously the mm-hmm. law changed there since. Uh, I, right. I, I remember my test about 40 years ago and I, it's probably mm-hmm. long enough time and I'm not hanging anybody uh, my mm-hmm. test was at 20 past 12 do, do you know what I did for my test now it did involve an element of uh, you know uh, traffic and driving and three point turn and all that I, I mean mm-hmm. I did the full test but I dropped the tester home for his lunch oh sure look that was, that was old Ireland that was know? old Ireland that was old Ireland but like I'm all for road safety Mick and if you can bring it into the schools I'm all for that and I think look that would that would actually catch people young and, and, and teach them, bring them through some of the more costly elements of driving, right? Now, that would probably involve uh, a private entity as well, contracted in, you know, to help yeah. out there. Like, but yeah, i I, mean, got, I, I got to leave it there, um, yeah, Morris, yeah. but it, there's enough of the glamorous speed driving and the fast and furious stuff and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. may, may, maybe some of those very, very graphic ads should be played to young people before they, you know, before they leave school on the dangers of speeding uh, and mm-hmm. what, what happens when you come to a sudden halt. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Morris. Go on, Mick, go on, Mick. Thank, Thank you very much. Two and a half minutes to ten. This is the Neil, uh, Neil Prendival Show. Phone us 0818 104 106 for your calls and comments. News next. Now, the Neil Prendival Show, Red FM. Seven and a half minutes past ten. Dermot Canning is a taxi driver under a bit of pressure, I heard. Dermot, morning to you, sir. 
Good morning. How are you doing, Mike? You're about to engage in a pickup, uh, which is your stock and trade, so we can't keep you from earning money. But yes, you do, indeed, you, do no have, you do have a valid point to make. Okay, well, the problem in relation to the um, Road Safety Authority and driving tests in particular, my issue is that when um, an applicant passes the test and maybe they get 37 out of 40 and they pass, um, there are three questions they got wrong and they're not given the correct answers. So potentially they could have got any three of the 40 wrong and I feel that they're sending people out on the road with misinformation, and I think that's just absolutely criminal. So you get, you get a question wrong in the theory test, and they don't mark yeah. it wrong or tell you that it's wrong? No, you get 37 out of 40, and they pass you. Or you get yeah, 36 the, out of 40, yeah, and they pass you. But they don't they tell you do which ones are wrong? No, and they don't give you the correct answers. So I think that's just an absolute disgrace. So, and so, so what, people, what they're saying is, yeah, no, you know enough. You know enough to go out there. But we won't yeah, tell you where you, you could don't know it all. You yeah. don't we don't won't tell you where you could do a little more. Exactly. That's it's just sending people out with the wrong information and I think that's just dreadful. I think it's terrible. People are starting off their driving experience, which is you know, it's, it's a privilege to be able to drive on the roads and stuff, and um, they're just sent out with the wrong information and I think it's wrong. Okay. You you did your motorcycle test there, yeah? I did yeah, and I got thirty seven out of forty. And I just, that was a couple of years ago, and I said to the guy, I said, um, which ones did I get wrong? And he said, oh, we can't tell you that. And I said, why can't you tell me the ones I got wrong? Because potentially I got any three of the 40, so I could have bluffed the other few. But, like, if, if they had given me the correct answers, then at least I would have had all the answers right. Yeah, I thought it was 36 out of 40. 35 out of 40 is the threshold to pass, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but 39. If you, do, if you get 39 out of 40, then there's one question you got wrong, and that question could be potentially any one of the other, of the 40 that you were asked. It and doesn't make sense. You, you're, information. you're going out on the road thinking the wrong thing about a certain element of driving. Exactly. If, you know, if you fail, you go back and you study and everything, that's fine. But if they're passing you and letting you out on the road, they're not giving you the correct information, and that's just wrong. Okay. So, so what could we do? Just, just ask them to change procedure and say... Uh, the theory test needs to be marked as as it would in a, you know, in a pub quiz. Now, I'm not making know, I'm not I'll, making I'll light of it, but you know, you get counters in a pub quiz. Uh, that one's right, 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 wrong, wrong. Uh, and well, people can check that later. Do, all they need to do is give you the correct answers to the questions you got wrong. It's as simple as that. It, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, t t tell me, Dermot, because uh, I am intrigued by the uh, the taxi industry and all they've gone through. It's a highly regulated industry. How are you guys getting on now? Is it still a, a good living for those who work hard? Well, yeah, you have to put in the hours and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's as difficult um, a job as anybody else's. But, you know, if you enjoy it and it's what you you like doing, then it's fine. Do you choose early or late or both? Anytime, anywhere. Oh, okay. your own yeah. business. So you, 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 do you get yeah. you get you get bookings twenty four seven. A lot, a lot of bookings. Yeah. Okay. Anytime yeah. of the day or night, any airport, anywhere doesn't matter. We will cover it. So. Yeah, and how do you, how do you sleep around that and get yourself energized to to be safe on the road? You go to bed. <laughs> oh, I know that, but going to bed in the day and sleeping are two different things. Well, they are for you. It depends on what are for anybody else. If, if you work nine to five, then you, you generally go to bed at 11 or 12 and get up at half seven or eight. Yeah, I have, um, I've, I've I have had a, a friend. If I have a booking, 
I go to bed and I get my hours in and then I go and do my job. And then if I have another job coming up in a few hours, then I go to bed. Uh, I had a friend in the Irish, Irish Army and, and he, could, he could sleep at will. He could sleep sitting up. He said, he said, when you're in the army and you're being deployed or whatever, uh, that 20 minutes sleep is, is, is the most important you'll get. Uh, oh, yeah. But he could sleep at will. I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah, well, I, I would be the same, no, but it's, it, it, you know, it's just the way you adapt to whatever you're doing, you know? Yeah, I know you've got a minute or two left before your, your, your pick-up. What, what about the state of other, other drivers out there? A- everyone who drives see, sees reckless and dangerous driving. Uh, I guess you guys see a lot more of it. Well, we do. Everybody seems to be in a hurry, and nobody, you know, people are still using their phones, and people, you know, generally people do put on their seatbelts. We seem like I would take notice of that. Most people are wearing it. I'd have to say, probably ninety-five percent of the yeah, people. Yeah, well, the cars won't drive. You, you still the cars won't yeah, let you, you drive without the seatbelt on in most of them. Yeah, but like people are just using their phones and they're changing the, the stations or they're putting on their music or the phone is a huge thing. Yeah. Still? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Best luck with your pickup. Where are you heading for? Um, I'm in Ballyfarris. We're heading for Killarney and then back to Cork. Ooh, that's a long drive. You're in Ballyfarris? Yeah. Yep. Uh, one, of my, one of my favourite spots. Very misty down here. Very misty and cloudy and starting to rain, but um, still beautiful down there. Yeah, that's going to be rolling in. That's a nice drive back. Well, where will you come back? Through Inch and... Yeah. Back uh, through um, Dingle and then Inch and Castlemaine and then into Killarney. C- Castlemaine, the, the wild colonial boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice one. Uh, that, that, no bother. That's a great drive. Hopefully we might be able to get something, some move on that theory testing because it's just it's terrible. No problem. If you want a nice cup of coffee, go into Dermot Sears in, uh, in Tig and Tearshig. Okay, no problem Thanks, at all. Dermot. Thank you very much. Take Thank care. You. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Jerry's on line three. Hi, Jerry. Morning, Mick. How are you keeping? Good. Now, you drove all your life as a sales rep. I did indeed. And uh, <clears throat> just thinking there back, when you look at the driving test, how long, you know, is it since it was really brought up to date? You see, the simple thing with a car is to put down the boot. Everybody can put down the boot, but a lot of people don't know how to stop a car. Right? Okay, go on. No, oh, sorry, I thought you were going no, no. They, don't, they don't know how to stop for the car. And, like, with the driving test, from my um, knowledge of it today, you know, you drive along, three-point turn, back into a car space, and that's basically it. And there is no... Like, times have changed, cars have changed. It's so easy to put down the boot. And on the open road, and you know, as well as that, a lot of a lot of these young drivers, they don't, they can't visualise a distance stop. Yeah, with with the car in front of you, if 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 yeah, that if yeah, that car, if, we, if there's a, you know, sometimes say you could be driving along on the motorway even, or even on the country road, and all of a sudden there's there's traffic in front of you. And they they don't know how to slow down the car. Plus, the fact that I think there should be something like the, the pilots have simulators for training. 
I was just going to say the the, the, the pilot like simulators. If, if yeah. you, I think the biggest problem is that the older generation of drivers have enough experience uh, to know how long it takes a car to stop. Correct. And if that's not part of the learning experience for the driving test, mm-hmm. um, now I'm not saying that everybody should go into an off-road driving school and and hit the brakes at certain areas. Did you see those videos before? You 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 actually bash into cones, and the cones that's go right. under the car. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really eye-opening how long it takes a car to stop and maybe some oh, people... Oh, yeah, it's frightening because, you see, like, plus the fact a lot of people don't, even mature drivers, don't realise if we have sunny weather, warm weather, and next thing we get a shower of rain, it's like driving on ice. It can be like driving on ice. Very greasy, yeah. You know, the roads are greasy and uh, as I said, that is a major problem. Now, also, I think that's... Uh, a serious problem which you already know about is uh, mobile phones, right? Even driving around there now around Cox City, when you see people stop the traffic lights, they're looking at their mobile phones, their heads are down. And, you know, I think they should increase the um, the fines for people using mobile phones. Is it is it legal or is it against the law to have your mobile oh, phone yeah, in, in your hand when you're stopped at a traffic light? It's to do, it, no, it's it's illegal. I, I was in Dublin years ago one morning uh, by Jory's Hotel up on the hill there by the uh, oh what do they call it? Jory's Hotel Christchurch. Oh yeah. And I, I saw the traffic was heavy this morning and. Uh, I saw a guard on the motorbike, and he he stopped in cars. He pull pulling up next to cars, and I was wondering what he was doing. And he was pulling people that were stopped in traffic on mobile phones. So if 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 you want to be in a car that's moving, if you want to be in a car that uh, is at a traffic light, and you want to use your mobile phone, you better be in the passenger seat. Correct, you are at the back seat. <laughs> yeah, one of the passenger seats. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This... Of course, yeah, because you see, like. People lose concentration. It's so simple for a driver, like a driver, a car, first of all, make a car is a lethal weapon, right? And that's what a car is. A car is a lethal lethal weapon. And the cars today, as other callers have told you, you can go from 0 to 60 in, in a few seconds. Whereas back in the old days, we were driving escorts, Cortinas, Anglias, Volkswagen Beatles, right? You nearly have to push them to go faster, right? But I know, but the, 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 the braking power wasn't as, as good as today oh, either. No, no, the brake, the brake horsepower wasn't as good either. I totally agree with that. But what I'm saying is people today, young drivers especially, they don't know how to control the car. And I think that people should be brought on secondary roads as well in country areas uh, to see how they can drive and handle going around bad bends and things. There, there was a, a TV ad on RTE many, many years ago to put the fear of God into you. Uh, yeah. and, and it wasn't one of the graphic ones where, you know, the one where it's, it's the guy in the back did all the damage. Remember that one? Uh, yeah. Th- this was just a simple, how long does it take a car to stop? At 40 right. miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an yeah. hour. It was miles That's back right. then. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, when, when when you see how long... Now, the other thing is controlling the car, uh, right. which, which our last caller, um, Dermot, picked up on. 
uh, th- there's a way to control a car when you have to come to a sudden stop. I mean, every driver out there today that might be listening to us, uh, if you're doing, for instance, 60 kilometres an hour or 80 kilometres an hour, uh, and a cat runs out in front of you, or a dog runs out in front of you, most every driver will react differently. Some people will swerve and could spin the car in, 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 into going on its roof. So some, some people will, will jam on and lose control. Some people won't swerve and, and will take the chance and hit the animal. Uh, and and I've seen it, I've been in a car where that happened, uh, where the driver was towing a caravan and, and knew straight away if there was any sort of evasive action taken. So the driver just braced himself, straightened his arms, uh, touched the brakes, but knew that he wasn't going to stop in time. So there's all of these different situations, isn't there? Well, there's of course, and like you see, a lot of people as well don't, uh, don't realise when they're driving, they have to brake uh, fairly fast. That's, you know, you can use more than the brake pedal to slow down or stop a car, and that's changing down the gears. And another that I was I was about to say a, another section of inexperienced drivers will clutch in as well. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll hit both pedals, the left they and the middle. Yeah. They'll clutch yeah. in. Now now you're making the engine into into a a heavy weight freewheeling. Uh, the the car right. will be freewheeling, yeah. and the engine yeah. is momentum. Uh, you know, yeah. it's it, it's it's got that speed and it's got that power. That's called momentum. And that momentum has to be dissipated, and that uh, will be dissipated if you hit something else, or it'll okay. be dissipated over a longer period of road uh, to bring the car to uh, to a stop. So I know. I make. I was looking there. I just out of curiosity on the internet, uh, you know, causes of uh, accidents on the road today. And for 2003 so far, it bore enough that the accidents were put down to reckless driving. And you see, you have a lot of you have a lot of young people today, right? But no, we were all young. We were all probably like like everybody else, right? But the thing is that you know you have a young a young guy or a young girl there in the car. They're playing loud music. They're on the phones. They're texting, they're WhatsApping, they're doing everything in everything in the car, right? Yeah, Mor- right. Morgan is on line one. Hang on there, Jerry. Morgan, you've got so, a, you've got a novel suggestion uh, for people who are using their phones while driving or can't using them, to be more specific. Hello, yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, how are you? Good man, yourself. Well, I think it's very easy to solve. Um, if they get ten points, if you were caught using your phone, how many people do you think be using their phones? If it was a ten pointer. Yes. Exactly. I mean, there, there is a safe way to use a phone in the car. Why, why, why do people well, continue to flout that? There, 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 there how, is how, a, do mean, how, how do you mean the safe way? The, the, the hands-free set? There's a hands-free and Bluetooth where you don't even have to well, take your, your eye off the road about, to answer the car. Well, well okay, so I haven't phone. got that. Yeah, I know, well, I know. Okay, yeah. So anyone caught choosing their phone, if they got 10 points, that would stop it. Simple as that. So make make the penalty bigger and stronger. I mean, if you if you have ten, if you have ten, you can't afford to get another two or three because you're off. No, no. And I said that to a girl about about four years ago. We stopped at a checkpoint and we were just talking, and was and about the crashes. No, even that thing going back a few years. And I said that to him. I said, why don't they increase? Does he? I agree with you hundred percent. But he was only normally girl, like. 
But when you, when you throw all the elements in, in, into the mix, Morgan, the fact that some people may be inexperienced to clutch in and when they're braking, it's, it's the one or two seconds delayed reaction time is going to kill you. And, and that will happen if you're distracted by a phone. Of course it will. Um, hey, no, and uh, for a second, please. Yeah, Jerry, go on. Yeah, if, if sorry for cutting across you there. Um, I think what they should do outside the, the penalty points and the fines is they should take the phones off the drivers because I, I've seen plenty of drivers uh, in modern new cars and SUVs and they're on the phone. Now, all those vehicles are equipped with Bluetooth today. You know, I see people in brand new 231 vehicles and they're on the phone, phone up to the head. And if they took the phones off them... When they could be on Bluetooth. Would, they, pardon? They, when, when they could be on Bluetooth. They, they, yeah, 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 yeah. You see every day, I see every day of the week. There, there's an interesting little addition to your one, Morgan. Ten penalty points and the phone taken off you for 72 hours. Well, maybe so, but um, do you know what I think we be worth finding out? Is how much they make all the fines every year with the three pints and all that. How much money are they making? Maybe that's why they won't raise the pints. Well, I, you know I, I, mean? I, I think we're at, we're at a point now in road safety and at death numbers where they're going to be looking at all sorts of radical action, including, as we mentioned last week, uh, reducing the speed limits on roads. Um, I, I think, to be honest, uh, the, uh, concentrating on the phones would have a much stronger effect than the speed of limits. But everyone has a personal be. opinion. You don't have to be a genius at all, Mick, to solve this. They could solve it if they want to. They just want to keep getting the money coming in. That's my opinion, oh, Mick, all right? All right, but thanks, Morgan. Thank you very much. OK, thank Mick, you. Before, before we finish yeah. up there, if yes, you don't Jerry. mind, yeah. um, I think as well there, uh, years ago, they brought out... Remember there, they, they, they showed all the bad accidents on television and in the newspapers. I think that should be brought back because, like, you don't see anything. Oh, there's a bad accident. And, like, okay, no, nobody wants to see anybody get badly injured or killed. But I think that would have an effect on people as well. And on top of all of that, you know, with modern technology today, I think sensors could be developed. Right, that would warn people of of their speed. It should be built into the car cars, especially for young drivers. Even if it was only like an accessory item, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, how uh, how many how many schools are flung deeply into mourning uh, around leaving oh, yeah, certain time? I, we I, saw I, it this it, year. It, it, with, with, with the yeah. loss, needless loss of young people travelling to events right. yeah. or, or coming yeah. from a sporting event or whatever, and, and still there's no basis in the curriculum to teach people about speed on roads sure. and road safety. I, so should, should, should the road safety authority be involved more in education rather than in changing laws should, and speed course, limits? Yes, I, I, I genuinely think, no, with the way cars are today, uh, the speed they can do and everything, right? That the driving test, uh, it's totally outdated. They need uh, drivers, irrespective of their age, they need to be, we should have like uh, skid, skid um, test centres and things like that, where they are taught, they have to sit in with an experienced driver and do a, a test on the and the yeah, let, let's, let's give a mention to two of those. I'm aware of one. I don't know the exact locations now. I'm, I'm aware of one. Is that Dennis Lombard, perhaps? Uh, there's one outside of Mallow, 
for people who heard, are right, on, on the north side of the city. And, and there is one, or was one, certainly, just outside Bantry. Uh, now, right. these, these are off-road facilities where you can maybe do your skid tests, where you can maybe do your stop tests. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they also they also have simulators. And so that yes. would, um, you know, that that would help. So can, can I, can I, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the whole education centre of this here is that most people learn to drive from a parent. That's right. where they get the most of their driving habits, shall we say. Yes, yeah. Then they do their 12, uh, in, you know, instructed lessons and, and that really serves them to navigate the driving test. So they pass the driving test but unless there's real, real input from mum or dad and, and the parent. And I'm not saying it's, it's necessary or available in every case. But, but the more you drive with your child, uh, you know, under the L plates or whatever, uh, the safer driver they'll be. Would that be a fair assessment? I would think so, yeah. Like, you know, it's it, like I, I look at a car in, in, in a way it's like a load gun, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody knows how to pull the trigger. <laughs> But you got to be you got to be able to aim it, and you got to be able to shoot it when when something is when your target is moving, right? Do you understand? Yeah. And like as I say, the driving test, totally, totally, oh, 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 it's gone by the board. Like it's it's all way way out of date. And I mean, the minister for uh, transport is that Evan Ryan? Mm-hmm. Like, what does he know about driving? He goes around on the bicycle. Well, he gets him taken out of the back of the ministerial car and cycles into ah, town. Ah, yeah, but how often? Yeah, but surely he's not driving himself, so, right? He, dri- he drives an SUV. I've often seen him coming out of Doyle Air in an SUV, so he must have a, he must have a few children, uh, if that's maybe, the case. Maybe, 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 Because yeah. that's not an but economical, like- aerodynamically shaped car. <laughs> but the thing, the thing about him as well, like that, I mean, you know yourself... City driving, you cannot compare that to open country road driving. And this country is full of bad secondary roads, right? And if you look, if you, you know, you're, you're the man that, that, that has been around the country, and you see the same old black spots and nothing being done with them. It was like the old Mallow Road. It was 22 miles long. And there was 101 bends on it. Do you remember that? I was going to say 108. 101. 101 bends on the old Mallow Road. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I used to travel that road uh, I did how many Monday mornings of a month, right? Going mm-hmm. to Vegas, going to Limerick, going to Norcock, etc. And that. And every Monday morning, you were guaranteed to see nearly a car buried inside in a ditch somewhere. Because the road was so bad. Yeah, and now and, and, now, and, and now you'll see a Gatso van there because somebody died. I'm right. not. I'm not being tongue in cheek, but uh, no, no, that, no, no. Well, you, you'll see, you'll see the Gatso vans on straight roads where there's no accidents mm-hmm. because there's like shooting fish in the barrel. We touched on all that last week, Jerry. Thanks a million for everything that uh, well, you, you brought to the program this morning. Uh, yeah, before before you go, I was yep. asking. I was asking Claire there. Uh, Jerry McAvoy, who played with Rory Gallagher, is coming to the Opera House. Okay. I, I assume you know the man. Of course I do. There's only, there's only three people in the band. That's right, yeah. Well, I, I, I used to know the Gallagher's when I was younger. And 
I used to go to lots of their shows and that, and I got to, the, to meet Johnny on several occasions. And uh, I was just wondering, was there any, any tickets floating around? I, if he had appeared, then I'd gladly accept them. OK, well, I, I can make a representation <laughs> on your behalf, but I'm not sure if that's... Right. Uh... Ah, that's right. But that's listen, okay. I was... Uh, do you remember the original taste? I do. Uh, I that, do. that was Rory Gallagher, Eric Kitteringham and Norman Damery. That's right, chap. Yeah, I think Norman... Norman Damery, Norman died there not too long ago. Oh, really? Because I, I interviewed him before on radio, actually the day Rory died. Uh, yeah. w- w- one of the guys ended up working for Cork County Council, I think, and the other was a printer. Yeah, Norm, Norman, Norman Damry, to the best of my knowledge, uh, worked with a forklift company. Uh, they were out. They were over, and they were on the south side there, across from uh, the... Oh, what's the name of the place there? It's a small industrial estate. It's kind of behind us from War Road. Uh, can, I t- can I tell you a little story about Rory Gallagher? Okay, I, I did one of the last radio interviews with Rory Gallagher and I kind of pissed him off a small bit because I asked the wrong question about uh, about Lonnie Donegan or so. I don't know what it was, but he kind of, right. he, he snapped back at me kind of, uh, well, what do you know, you young fella, or whatever. But no, and you know, it was it was a lovely interview because I had my research done and it was, uh, I was trembling, of course. He, he, he was in a car. I can't remember who set up the, the interview, but mobile phones are pretty new at the time. And I went to see him that night. Uh, he played... Uh, Johnny Campbell was on sound and uh, he played in the uh, regional technical college uh, at the time, the RTC uh, Mm -hmm. out in Bishopstown and um, my good friend Marcus Connaughton of RTE uh, got me upstairs into the what a green room or canteen or staff room or something uh, to meet Rory Uh, and I got Mm -hmm. a beautiful autograph from him but that evening on the radio um, I was uh, reading a a text uh, from, from a guy who said Rory, I'm gutted I'm your biggest fan and I can't get to the gig because they're inducing my wife this evening. But the best I can do, he said in his text, was if if it's a boy, we're going to call the boy Rory in your honour. And I know that guy was from Middleton and I'd love to track him down, OK? Right. Uh, but uh, lo and behold, she was induced. The uh, delivery happened. It was a bouncing baby boy. And I was able to tell this to to Rory uh, and Donald, his brother, Monica, his mother. That's oh, old, yeah, I know yeah. Donald well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually had dinner with Donald and Monica the, uh, on the day of the burial. I wasn't, not with them, but in the same room. Um, we went over and, and uh, pay, paid our, our sympathies. Anyway, I digress. The, uh, anyway, I was able to tell Rory Gallagher that it was a boy, and it's going to be mm-hmm. called Rory in your honour. So this guy, I think his name was Noel. Uh, Noel was there through the night anyway, um, you know, holding the wife's hand, holding his new son and the whole lot. And off he goes in the morning to have a shower and a shave or whatever, freshen up uh, and come back up at lunchtime. Who pops in in the morning with a huge bunch of flowers but Rory Gallagher, Monica Gallagher and Donald Gallagher uh, to to bid this new baby Rory uh, welcome to the world. And who got the picture with Rory Gallagher and Monica and Donald? Only um, the lady who had the baby. And who got nothing from the whole thing was Noel. Uh, (laughs) But but he did get his message through through Rory Gallagher. But that's the type of people that the the Gallagher family were. They were exceptional. Lovely family. Lovely family. Uh, Donald Gallagher, Rory's brothers are the total gentlemen. Can I tell you briefly a funny story about Jerry McAvoy? Jerry, can can I ever get rid of you? (laughs) <laughs> Get me hang, hang on a second I've got Noreen on Hang on, just hang on there I will come back to you briefly Noreen is on line 5 holding forever because of Jerry hi Noreen 
Hi. Um, I just want to give um, a suggestion in there. Sure. Hello. Um, yeah. What it is, is all the new drivers that pass their test, they're mm-hmm. going provisionally onto their driving experience, as was said previously by the other, one of the callers. Yeah, they're going on their end plates, their novice plates. Yes. Yes. I think they should be all restricted to a one litre car, like the old cars years ago, a one litre, a one litre whatever, have them driving for two to three years, no claims, and then they can proceed to a higher powered engine. Yeah, I think 1.2 and uh, in in some cases 1.4 is where the insurance industry have it pegged. If you want to get cost uh, cost effective insurance, I think 1.4 is the limit. Maybe 1.2 would be a more sensible limit, I don't know. Uh, As was mentioned last week though, Noreen, they should also have 120 kilometre Uh, per hour motorway experience in that time of being a novice and that should be checked somehow so that you know, you can can say before they move up uh, an engine size they're proficient in driving on motorways Yes, well I would be all for that, they'll have to get their driving experience but like if you you look in any town throughout the country when they finish on a Friday evening you'll have five in a car taking off and these are not like Fiestas, these are BMWs. How do you mean? People people carpooling, is it? Well, they're not carpooling. They're finished Friday evening. They're off for the weekend. Um, Like, I live in a country area now, and our place is full of cars doing donuts, roaring cars all the weekend long. Um, If they can't do the speed like, they can't the speed. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're not going to do many donuts in a one litre car. Well, if you're doing it in the wrong place, where it is, where it's um, a wooded area, it's a walk, it's an amenity for the public. There's young children in the area. Um, they'll do it whenever they like. And doing doing donuts, I'm sure it's frowned upon by the Gardaí, but I'm just wondering where it sits legally in the system. Is it is it antisocial behaviour? Is it reckless or careless driving? Well, it is. Well, it is. It's the same as any other any other antisocial behaviour in a public area. And uh, the other thing as well, that we're talking there about distractions in the car and the mobile phone. The radio is a distraction. You don't have a radio driving for your lessons or your test. Yeah, I t- you know. I, t- I take your point, but. It, it, it's also good company on, on, on the road to keep you alert and keep you awake. Well, it depends on what it is. You know, if you're listening to an operatic song, you're you're very, some of them are very relaxed. <laughs> if you're listening to, if listening to Meatloaf, Meatloaf, Battle of the Hell, what would you be doing? You might be driving on, is it? Yes. Okay, because if, if we lost all of the uh, the mobile listeners now to, to Neil Prendival's show, we might be out of business, so I'd want to be advocating oh, that either. Well, I wouldn't be denoting that, but saying on the topic, like, it is road safety, and there's, like, there's all environmental factors, like he's saying there about braking and whatever. When I started off driving, I used to steer my father's car. He learned me how to steer the car. Yeah, with it kind of sitting in his lap kind of thing. No. No? On the left hand, no, on the left-hand side, over, where I could steer, obviously, like, on a, on a straight part of the road, starting off. Then he got me to change the gears. He was clutching, so he told me when to change. Did he just say change? 
Yeah, you'd, 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 you'd often, when I, when I was growing up, you'd, you'd see young people, and I'm talking 10 or 11 now, um, s- sitting in their father's lap steering the car. That doesn't happen anymore because the airbag will kill them if they crash. Well, I wouldn't have experienced anything like that anyway. I mean, besides it, the thesis would go over the weight capacity and the airbag, as you said, would go off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, look, the, the driving test needs to properly reflect the, the needs that are put upon a driver in modern society. Uh, it's a fast-moving, fast-paced society. There are distractions. They need to be looked at in one part, and that's maybe on the penalty side. There are, yeah. uh, there are skill needs in stopping, in uh, controlling the car, control skid, yeah. ice and snow driving, uh, motorway yeah. driving, none of which are, are catered for in the test. So maybe a, yeah. a root and branch overhaul of the driving test is, uh, is, is in order. Yes. All right. Uh, and, no, and, and possibly when it is taken as taken as well, the age, I think. Yeah, a, a, a graded entry into higher power cars. Now, I know, I know that uh, you're going to pay a lot uh, insurance wise okay. if you're under 25 and driving a, a two liter car. You're going to pay a lot. Um, yeah, but some people can pay, can pay it. And oh, some people can pay it and it discriminates against those who can't. No, I'm not talking about discrimination at all here. No way. What I'm talking about is some people can, they won't even have to pay for the car they get. They won't have to pay for the insurance to send it to them by mummy and daddy. Yeah. And off go. You know, you have your own car now. You're independent. Get on with it. And do you think that uh, they'll respect it less then? Yes. If you're handed everything, what have you got to worry about? Okay. Noreen, got to leave it there. Thank you very much. Uh, people should be eligible to drive only a one-litre car, says Noreen, uh, when you pass your test. Jerry, are you still there? I certainly am. OK, hang, hang on a second. I need to take a commercial break and then I'll give you more time. Thanks. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Wanted to go back to Jerry, but Kieran is under pressure for time. Kieran, I'll go to you quickly before I go to Jerry. Uh, how are you, sir? How are you doing, Mick? Good. I'm good. How are you doing today? You did your test last year. I did, yeah. At a very late stage, uh, I would have been living in the city for many years and use a bicycle generally. Um, but it was kind of time to just get on and get it done and dust it, you know. Okay. And you heard what? So I went back to the testing centre uh, afterwards and I was sitting with my tester and getting the run down and there was a young chap at another desk a ways over and the tester said to him, the ramps are there to slow you down. You are hopping off them. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it's funny, but if it, it wasn't so serious, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And what and what um, happened then? We, he didn't pass his test, I believe. Yeah. Well, he probably wouldn't if he was getting that sort of a dressing down. <clears throat> no, uh, no, how, no. How did you get on with yours? You were back to get a rundown on the practical, were you? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I passed thankfully, so that was great. All right, and uh, you're you're driving away happily since? No accidents, no yeah, claims? Yeah, yeah, no, nothing at all. Um, and in actual fact, when I was doing my lessons, my instructor said to me, he said, if anything, you're probably a bit too cautious. Right, so the, the lessons prepare you for the test. Do you feel the Definitely. test prepared you for the driving that was to come? Um, for the driving element of it, yes. Um, and again, with as with anything, like, and with health and safety in general, like, it's, it's all down to people's observation and awareness, which is a huge element of it. Mm-hmm. And then that's detracted from by mobile phones and other distractions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that, it's that reaction time, really, that's critical. If uh, it, it it's is, like, it's like life and death. Just need to, 
have their eyes open and be aware of what's going on around them. And it's just, it is it is that simple. At all times. I mean, even, even on the test, you, you'll fail for not uh, checking your mirrors often enough. How, how many Absolutely, people? Yeah. How, how many people constantly review their mirrors in real life? Uh, you'd give them like when you're when you're slowing down to take a corner when you're doing anything like that. You'd be keeping an eye on them. Yeah, I certainly yeah. am. But then again, I'm kind of I suppose fresh enough from the test to to have that still be a habit. Yeah. Do you think there's enough respect out in the roads for drivers to other drivers? Um, that's hard to say. Mm. All right, Kieran. Thanks very much for your contribution. Thanks very much, Mike. And long have holding. A good day, You've kept us on a while there, Jerry, but um, I, I did promise I'd come okay. back to you. So you want well, you wanted to make one more point. At the end of this now, will you be asking me, can I just make one more point? <laughs> <laughs> Don't often, Matt. I know. This is me. Well, uh, least, of course, a bit of destruction from the driving end of it. Uh, Rory, done a concert in the City Hall years ago, and there was a lot of TV crews and reporters, etc. At, at the gig, right? Right. And, uh, all the all the, the the band were staying in the metropole, and uh, all the entourage, all the uh, reporters, etc. And we went back to the metropole. Rory went home, and uh, Dole and myself were there along with Jory McAvoy and the rest of them, and uh, we were having a few points as one does, and uh, people were getting hungry and. Uh, Dol said to me, when I go up and ask the porter, would he make sandwiches for about 20 of us? And he said, you must be joking in this order morning. He said, there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken place across the road over there they, before they close. And I went over and I asked your man, can I get 20 chicken suppers, please? And he says, oh, all right, yeah. I think, no, you'd enough to drink. You might as well, you, you should be going home, you know? No, just say it's for Rory Gallagher's band. And I, and I said, yes, it's for for Rory Gallagher's entourage across the Metropole. All right. He said, come back with uh, I know, 80 or 90 quid at the time and I'll, I'll do them. So he did and he dropped them over and we all devoured them. And there was this uh, reporter, I think he was from the BBC, he was getting under Johnny McAvoy's skin, right? He was annoying him. Right. And uh, Johnny says to me, oh, God, we're going to have to fix this for us. So what we done was we gathered up all the waste from the chicken suppers and wrapped it up. And uh, Johnny said to me, go up and get the key for whatever room, 220, we say, okay? <laughs> so I got the key, we got we gathered up all the stuff, went up to 220, we pulled back the bed clothes, tossed all the, the waste into the bed and made it again. <laughs> and we came down and we were sitting there, we were laughing and looking at each other. And about quarter of an hour later, the soul bank came into the hotel. Can I have my key, please, for 220? It wasn't the BBC lo- reporter. No. Oh, Jerry, my God. Jerry got the wrong room number. Unbelievable. Come here, if you know Jerry that well, get your own tickets for the Opera House. <laughs> Jerry, oh, th- yeah. th- 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 thanks a million for but, your. Wait, wait, two, two, two quick seconds, right? I told you he'd do it again. Go on. Right. The, the next thing was. The old man we've got his key went up the lift and about five minutes later he came down these long johns and bits of peas and chicken and uh, <laughs> chips stuck. <laughs> Johnny ran up the stairs I and I ran to up see the, the manager. <laughs> so now Mick do you what? All right, thanks a million, Jerry. Finally, finally we finally, say goodbye. Finally, finally. 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 Thanks, <laughs> cheers, bye. Get it off your chest. 
Text the Neil Prendeville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Just turned 10 to 11 while I was talking to Jerry. I mentioned a story about interviewing Rory Gallagher and his biggest fan not being able to attend uh, the gig because his wife was being induced uh, that evening. And uh, to corroborate my story and to confirm I wasn't making it up is Carmel Richards. Hiya, Carmel. Yeah, hi, Mick. How's it going? <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, this, was, this was your niece. Up. Yeah, that was my niece, Teresa. Teresa Horgan from uh, Middleton. And was I right and that it was Noel? Was it Noel Horgan? It was Noly, yeah. Noly. Noly. Noly was her husband, yeah. yeah. And um, I remember that. Um, I think it was Rory's mother <laughs> gave brought up a big bunch of flowers too. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I got the romantic version that Rory Gallagher turns up too. Oh, he turned up as well, yeah. did he? Um, I don't think so. Right, I don't okay. think there was any photographs because I don't remember seeing any photographs, but I know Rory's mother gave Teresa a big bunch of flowers. Um, yeah, because... She was an absolute lady. Uh, Monica Gallagher, she, she was just a little treasure. Yeah. Lovely, lovely yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And uh, Teresa was delighted. She was having a C- C- C-section. So, um, you know, that's why she was being induced. And, yeah, so... So, anyway, the, the, the little boy was what? called Rory. He was, yeah, yeah. And he's in about... I was just thinking he's in his late 20s now, maybe 30 now. And he's working away now in Killarney. Lovely tall lad, very good looking and everything. But, sadly, Teresa uh, got ill and she died of 41. But Noli is still in Middleton, so... Oh, that's, that's sad. I, d- I, didn't, I didn't know that. But I remember he, uh, no, yeah. no, at the time when we were doing the radio programme, there was only one telephone line, but you, you, you could... Like, you couldn't put two people on the air at the same time. That's how primitive it was. But we were able to get this new thing called texts coming through on the mobile phone, and Noli was the text, and, and I relayed the message right. to Rory Gallagher and, uh, yeah. and, then, and then told him that evening, because I got a text... Uh, mm-hmm. that it was a boy, it's going to be called Rory. And isn't it lovely that yeah. the Gallagher family marked that occasion by, by bringing the flowers? And, oh, and, and, lovely. And, and Rory, young Rory, is hale and hearty in his mid to late 20s now uh, and working in Killarney. So, He's working away in Killarney, yeah. I was just sending him a message <laughs> to let him know his name was mentioned on the radio. And he obviously know, he knows why he's called Rory, does he? He does, yeah. Yeah, he does. He's either 29 now or 30, maybe 31, I'm trying to remember. I know they have an older brother, Matthew, and he's 35. So and then there's a uh, brother uh, below Rory, and his name is Isaac. So Real, real people, that. Carmel, real stories, good old days. Yeah. And, but it would only happen in Cork. It would only happen in Cork, it's true. Thanks a million. <laughs> Lovely to hear from you again. All right, and you too. Talk to you again, Mike. Cheers, Carmel. Carmel Richards from Cove there. Her niece, Teresa Horgan, uh, was the lady involved in that story. And Rory now in his 20s, named after Rory Gallagher and working in Killarney. To uh, our texts uh, before we go to news at 11. Hi, Mick. I just got my Swedish driving licence in Sweden. And although I've never done it in Ireland, bar my provisional, it cannot compare. Uh, What I can say, it's one of the most stringent things I've ever done. There's four parts to it. A five-hour drink and drugs lecture to which you must participate in uh, or they won't pass you. A pretty full-on ice-on-the-road lecture and ice-road-driving test-stroke lesson to to which uh, this is a group effort also. And again, you must show interest and participation or you won't pass. 
pass. The theory test is 65 questions and you must get 52 or more to pass and the questions are ridiculously hard. The driving test itself is very strict too and very difficult to pass first time round. They have a law in Sweden too that if you cause an accident due to fatigue you can be charged with drunk driving as you knowingly drove the car when your reaction time is much slower than usual. I must say it's all directed towards safer driving because you've no choice but to put in the work uh, and study to pass and the information does sink in after the four different parts. Pretty stringent. Uh, Five-hour drink and drugs lecture. You must participate. A full-on ice-on-the-road lecture and ice-road driving test and lesson. Uh, And you must show interest here. 65 questions in the theory and a stringent on-road test. That's what they have in Sweden. Can you imagine our backlog if we started introducing all of those elements? Uh, A boy racer in a black Volkswagen Golf passed me on the Ballincollig Bypass yesterday as, uh, as if I was stopped but I was doing 119 kilometres an hour just inside the speed limit. Uh, if the government put up the speeding fines to 500 euro and six points, uh, this dangerous driving will stop overnight. There's a lot of people texting in uh, about the you know what seems like an opportune money grab when it comes to two or three uh, kilometres over the limit. When uh, you know, this driver probably doing 150 or 60 uh, kilometres an hour might get the extra points all right but uh, the deterrent isn't isn't big enough Hi Mick the best way to get uh, the safe driving message home would be for RTE to show the programme it has on young people in the National Rehabilitation Centre trying to piece their bodies and lives back together it was made about 20 years ago but it's still very relevant today it was a powerful programme and it, be sh- it should be shown in every classroom in the country says Anna uh, uh, please, please stop using the term three-point turn. This is no more. It's just a turnaround. Turn the car to face the opposite direction on the opposite side of the road, not hitting the curbs. Not a three-point turn anymore. A turnaround, and I stand corrected. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Uh, just to uh, give a big shout out, and we've been asked specially to do this, uh, to the elder writers of Cork. Uh, so this is all happening at the Central Library Grand Parade, and it's happening every Thursday. Uh, so from 2 to 3.30 in the Thomas Davis Room, uh, you can join in with a group of seniors interested in writing their personal life histories, the lives of the extraordinary ordinary. So this is a group of seniors interested in writing their personal life histories. And I imagine this collage of uh, experiences will read uh, or will lead to some very interesting, um, very interesting reading over the coming years. So uh, happy to give that one a shout out. It's a voluntary community initiative and all seniors are welcome. If you want details on that, 85 Six, one. So if you're looking for something to do and you're in your senior years, if that doesn't offend people, um, it's for seniors only, 085-196-7361. This is in the Thomas Davis room and I'm sure some of the stories that are going to be exchanged here will be mind-blowing. The Lives of the Extraordinary Ordinary is the theme and it's happening every Thursday for seniors. 14th of September, the next one, of course, next Thursday, 2 to 3.30 in the Thomas uh, Davis room in the Central Library Grand Parade. I was driving to work this morning and there was a van driving a bit erratically in front of me. Uh, They were very slow on the dual carriageway and weren't using any indicators. When I overtook them, I looked over and saw the man driving was sipping away on a coffee. Uh, Come on, people, we all like our morning coffee, but you can't be drinking it away while driving with one hand 
all the way up the road. I'm sure a lot of people grab a coffee while they're driving and put it back down on the cup holder. That's what the uh, the takeaway coffees are for, uh, isn't it? And uh, back to our phone lines in a moment. But first, uh, first of all, this final text. Hi, Mick. Please say a big thank you to Christine at the Valeting Centre in Wilton. I went there to get my car valeted on Saturday and to do my shopping in Tesco. I handed in my car, was to collect it after my shopping. I was walking down the aisle, uh, down the centre and realised I didn't have any purse and no money. I rang back to say I couldn't get my car valeted and Christine gave me the money to do my shopping and bring money back later. Uh, so they also valeted my car. Thank you so much, Christine. I can't thank you enough, Suzanne Doyle. It's a very big-hearted business person there. Christine at the Valeting Centre in Wilton. And when this lady forgot her shopping money, she gave her the shopping money and said, come back later and pay me for the valeting. More of that, please. Line two, uh, and a very serious topic now. We're going to speak to Jackie Fox. Uh, good morning to you, Jackie. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. And now you won a campaign to uh, get anti-bullying legislation brought in. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, after your daughter took her own life, and you're going to address the European Parliament. Uh, can you tell me first uh, a little bit about Nicole? Um, yeah, N- Nicole was my only little girl. I have two boys at home, and everything she's everything was great growing up. You know, she's a happy childhood. And it wasn't until she reached the age of eighteen when she started to go to her first nightclub, and that's where all the bullying started. Um, a, a girl, a twenty-three-year-old girl at the time, she. Just she decided to turn on Nicole over a boy, and um, she she was a coward. She couldn't bully Nicole on her own, so she she formed a group, and they targeted Nicole. They um, burned Nicole. They stuck cigarettes into her every chance they could get. They pulled her down a metal flight of stairs. They pushed her so hard into the, the corner of a table where they dislocated her hip. Um, and constantly, every chance they could get, whether it was in the nightclub or after the nightclub or on the street or anywhere she went, they would um, target her and beat her up every chance. But then the physical abuse, there was so much more, but the physical abuse was um, was bad enough. But then they decided to go online and online they just destroyed her mentally um, every day. They told her to, to go and hang herself. They sent her videos of... And a noose and every all the time, you know, and how to do it, and you know, said, you know, are you still here? Why are you still here? You know, and it was the mental abuse, it was the online abuse that really got deeper and deeper into her head until um, she couldn't find a way to stay. How, how long did this go on for? And did you try? Obviously, you did. You try try to do something to stop it. Yeah, it went on for three and a half years. Um, it started when Nicole just just before Nicole turned eighteen, but um, until she was uh, she died when she was twenty one. Um, she did for the physical abuse. We went to the guards because she also made a fake profile page, um, and said that they were never going to leave her alone and they were going to leave her on life support machine. We went to the guards and. Nicole turned around in the Garda station and said, Ma'am, I can't make a complaint because look what they're doing to me now. Um, if I make a complaint, they'll kill me. Because these were adults, they weren't kids either, so it's harder to, to, to stop. Um, we uh, we did go about the online abuse. Um, you know, we had every we screenshot, we had every message, every threat. But at that time, before I brought the law in, it wasn't a criminal offence. Um, you could 
annihilate, torture anyone online and there was nothing you can do about it because there was no law to prevent people um, torturing mm. someone else online. Yeah, I, I'm going to get to the law in a moment because I'm intrigued yeah. by some of the adverts I've heard on radio as well. Even the intent to yeah. t- to share non-consensual images is now yeah. is now illegal. Um, yeah. So this all came to a very sad and tragic end. Yeah. And not to put too fine a point in it, the, the the trollers got their wish. Yes, they left our online support machine. We found I found Nicole on the 18th of January. Um, she was still alive, but um, she had extensive brain damage and her organs started to shut down and then she died on the 20th of January. We had two days with her um, until she died the 20th of January. Okay, obviously we can't mention any names, but you know no. you, you know who no. this this cohort, oh, yeah. this, this this gang were. Yeah, we knew every one of them, yeah. How did, they, how did they react? How did they react? Did they realise, uh-oh, we pushed this too far? Um, no, because in 2015... And um, when it was all starting off, Nicole actually took an overdose and I thought they would have stopped. You know, I thought they would have stopped the, the, the abuse, but it was like, it was like a trophy they were claiming, oh, Nicole took an overdose because of me. And it was like, no, it wasn't. It was because of me. It was like they, they were claiming who actually made her take the overdose. They didn't stop. But when I started campaigning for the law, what they did do was they threatened me not to go ahead with campaigning and they threatened to put a petrol bomb in my letterbox, you know, trying to deter me because they thought they would have been prosecuted for it. And it's kind of sick, isn't it, to, to be taking some yeah. glory from, from the oh yeah the they trials and tribulations what, yeah. of, of yeah. mentally of, of somebody you're, you're, yeah. you're trolling like yeah. that. So, yeah. so it, phys- physical the, bullying, uh, the mental anguish and then the online trolling. Yeah. Until, yeah. until she was, could take no more. Yeah, and you know, as I said, three and a half years, she tried so hard to stay. Yeah, you know, she didn't want to die. And she, 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 you know, she, she, she loved her family. She loved, she loved me. She, she didn't, she just, she just couldn't, she couldn't take it. She knew what they weren't going to stop. And as, as the time went on, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And these were adults. And some of Jackie, them were, you, were actually mothers. You, you sound yeah. like a very determined lady. You must have been to, uh, to push this through uh, legislation in Nicole's memory. But you don't sound yeah. to me to be bitter. Oh, you know what? The thing is, I'm very... I, it's, it's, it's strange. I, look, I'm going to just say I hate them. I, I'll never forgive them. And I hope karma comes around and gets them in every direction. But with me... To, 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 to save me they took my daughter I can't let them take me as well even though I was going to go and be with Nicole I can't I don't let them into my head I don't give them even a minute during the day do you know I don't think about them I just have to think about what I'm doing and, and, and helping others you know if I let them into my head they will they, they will pull me down they that's your power now isn't it that's, that, that's, that is that's my your power, power. And, and I work I do work on that I don't I don't I know we're talking about them now, but on a, on a daily basis, I do not let them into my head. That's powerful. And, but I'll and, never and forgive them. I'll never forgive them. All right. So yeah. you started this campaign yeah. uh, to get this anti-bullying legislation brought in. Um, yeah. Nicole's probably not the only life that uh, that this activity has caused 
uh, to end now. to end suddenly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it was yeah. the one that mattered most to you, of course. Now you're going to address yeah. the European Parliament. T- yeah. Tell me about how your determination um, began, um, what what you were looking for, and if, yeah. if if you can, how you processed it through the houses of the Iraqis to be to be yeah. to be law in, in this country now. I know, which is hard enough. And um, one night I decided to go with Nicole and I just couldn't, even though I have two boys and and my family, the unbearable grief that you go through of, I just wanted to be with Nicole and um, I did turn it around and I said, the only only way I can stay, the only way I need to focus, I need to focus for something to keep me here to get up out of bed to and and the focus was just randomly I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this, I'm gonna bring in a law. Mick, I hadn't got a clue what I was talking about. I was in the the depth of grief and I just I I knew I had to do something. Um I'd never I ne- I didn't even think it was going to be possible but it kept it got me up campaigning. You know, I'm, going, I'm going to bring in a law. It shows how naive you must have been. And then you oh, go you go up against the system. How, how did the system yeah. receive you? They didn't. They didn't have a bar of me. They they looked at me as if I was mad. They they some of them just said that's not going to happen, you know. And and that you know, there's one thing. There's two things I always say now is one, never say no to an Irish mammy because <laughs> that just doesn't go down well anyway. But to say no to a grieving Irish mammy that's that's doing this to 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 so I won't take my own life. So I you know something to to keep me here, and it actually put a fire in my belly. I wasn't getting anywhere with the TDs at the start and what I did, I actually used social media for my, for, for my benefit, for a good way and I started to get the Irish people behind me. The amount of messages and texts from people saying, this is happening to my daughter, it's happening to my son, my auntie, my uncle, my mum, you know, I didn't realise how how bad um, trolling was actually, until I actually hit my doorstep, you know. Um, it was the Irish people were fantastic. Um, I started, you know, at the start it was just a protest outside the doll, and then I had a huge march through Dublin City. We marched through um, Cork, Galway, Limerick, and um, all different counties, and stopped outside Pennies because we know everyone goes into Pennies and had a, had a speech out the place. But it was just building up the Irish people um, until one one politician actually listened to me and that was Brendan Howland from Labour and he took me on but what I wanted was two things I wanted and I wasn't going to stop at, at one of them I needed two things one was to make online bullying a criminal offence and the other one was I had to be called after my daughter um, Nicole was her name but we called her Coco because when Nicole was born my nine month old nephew he was only learning how to talk and he couldn't say Nicole properly and he could only call her Coco and that's where she got her kind of baby name from um, but there was two things I wanted and they're the two things that I wouldn't have stopped until I got to both of them and um, yeah lucky enough uh, it kind of just the, the 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 politicians started to to listen after a, after a good while. It, it there's a, actually a lot of stages to go through bringing in a law, and the longest stage would be stage three. And when I got to stage three, the government had broke up, and once a government breaks up, all legislations that go back to stage oh, pending one. legislations go back to yeah, square pending, one. Effectively. Sorry, pending. Yeah, they go back to square one, but it went kind of quick enough back to to, to three again. 
but then I started to hear the, hear the politicians were starting to say, uh, you know, use cocoa in their, in their live debates and stuff and all. I had meetings after meetings in the doll and um, just constant, constant um, blood, sweat and tears. Um, you know, to, it, it, Coco's all nearly killed me with, with, with campaigning, you know, but yeah. um, it did. It well, did when when did you finally believe that you, you had enough political traction to, you know, to, to really believe you were starting to make headway with, you know, this could actually I, be achieved? Um, I never really, fe- I, I never put it in my head to say that this can be achieved because um, dealing with the government, anything can happen and anything did happen because 10 days before Coco's Law, everything was Coco's Law, Coco's Law, yeah, and then I started to realise, okay, yeah, this this is going to happen. But 10 days before Coco's Law was coming in, and Helen McEntee, actually, she she was made... Um, Minister of Justice, Department of Justice, yeah, um, and she ten days before she took Coco's name out of it, and she said, "No, we're not going to call it Coco's Law. It's going to be called the Harassment, Harmful Communication Related Defence Bill or something." Then I thought my fight was over, but then it was begin because I I had meetings then with Helen McEntee and and stuff to say no, it's got to be called Coco's Law. If it didn't, I I sent uh, Helen McEntee a video and. Um, and I cried and cried, but I did say to Helen McEntee, if you do that, if you take Coco's name out of out of the law, um, you are going to put the final nails in my coffin and make an end to it. Because I always promised after losing Nicole that um, she was never going to be forgotten and it was important that she's never going to be forgotten. So to take her name out was just, and after all the campaigning, it was really like a, a stab in the heart. Um, after meetings with her, she did break down in meetings. She cried, um, and at the end of the, the, the last meeting, she actually just nodded her head, and huh. I said, thank you. I knew, I knew she got it, and she did. W- she, was she, she a mum herself at, at that time, and do you feel you got a better she, hearing because she, she, she was, was a woman? She was pregnant. It was the, when, when, when I had the meeting, she was actually pregnant with her first child. Hmm. You know, so um, maybe, you know, she felt, well, this could be her child, you know. Or, um, but she did, she passed, she, 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 she put cocoa, she said, yeah, uh, it could, it's the helpful communication related, da, 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 also referred to as Coco's Law, but now everyone just uses that as Coco's Law, also yeah. referred to as the, the helpful communications. So on the... There's on the a big 20- difference, though, between uh, I'm arresting you under the... Uh Harmful or defences yeah. against the State Act, nineteen twenty fifteen or something. Yeah. I'm arresting you under Coco's law. But uh, you know what? Everyone knows Coco's law. It's such an easy name to remember. Yeah. You just Google Coco's law, and that big. And it's nice Google to have a name. smile about it, Jackie. But yeah. it is, of course, a bittersweet yeah. moment because if, oh, if your daughter hadn't taken her own life, there wouldn't be a Coco's law. You wouldn't have had to fight for it. Do you know what? Um, I always say that I had to lose my daughter for other people to gain. And people, when the law passed, um, people say to me, oh, you must be so proud of yourself. I struggle with being proud because what you just said there, I shouldn't have had to do that. That law should have been in years ago and maybe I would still still have Nicole with me. But it wasn't. I, I had to go in and do it. But then on the 28th of December 2020, Coco's Law was signed into the Irish statute books, which means it's going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever. So our name is going to be forever. And then on the 9th of February 2021, it, it was commenced. Um, 
and Coco's Law came in, where it is now a criminal offence to annihilate anyone online. But they also, even though it didn't relate to Nicole, they also put their intimate images in, which is fantastic. And that's huge. That's a huge problem. So now you can't share or even threaten to share an intimate image of someone with or without their permission. Yeah, we, on we were playing adverts. Time. We were playing adverts in the commercial breaks yesterday, and I, and, and and one of them was, uh, "Hi, mom, just leaving you a message. Uh, I'm after being arrested. They're charging me with a crime. Uh, I only said I was going to share the images. I didn't actually do it, mm-hmm. so I've done nothing wrong. Uh, yeah. And and the next thing, this is a crime now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm so happy. There's actually people in prison right now, right this second as I'm talking to you, in uh, yeah, in prison under Coco's Law. And now and, the yeah. t- 27 countries at the Europe- European Par- <laughs> Parliament want, want to bring Coco's Law into every European country. Mm-hmm. That must blow your yeah. mind. Um, I, I, <laughs> I thought after campaigning for Coco's Law that was kind of going to be the end of it. I knew it wasn't going to be the end of it for me because I do talks Oh, I, I've done so many talks in Cork, and I'm still I've more talks in Cork. I do I do talks in schools, colleges, you reach you club, football clubs, parent talks all over Ireland constantly. And um, I thought like right, this is what my path is. This is what I'm going to do because I wanted to teach the up and coming. You know the students that bullying. It's not a, a bit of laugh. Oh, we were only messing. Bullying kills. And then I wanted to tell them the consequences of it as well. And um, so I thought that was the end of it. But then I got a call from, from Brussels, the European. They wanted me to make a a, a short film of what about coal and about the law. Sent that film back, a little documentary thing. Sent that sent that back and then they called me over and um, they said they invited me over to talk in the European Parliament in Brussels and then I talked in the European Parliament in Strasbourg the European Parliament in Croatia and Slovenia um, and the one in Brussels is the big the, the, the big one and one on one side of me was the, the President of the European Parliament um, Roberta Mazzetto or and then on the other side so I was sitting sitting with the three top people in the European Parliament and when I say they, they were touched and that they said that they were going to definitely bring this in um, I was actually went to Brussels um, the fourth week and I wasn't meant to go back to, to, to them again in till June but I barely unpacked my suitcase and they said can you come back over we don't want to wait till June we want to put this in um, as quick as we can so they start working on it and they are working on it now it will take a while because you know it, we're not only dealing with Ireland now it's all the countries have to agree to, to come up with something you know so it's going to it's going to take a while but it, it's 100% coming coming in Europe wide and it's coming yeah. in as Cocos mm, that's <laughs> the thing now <laughs> now I don't know but um but Coco's name will be in it somewhere. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be called Coco's Law. Uh, look, they could call it Humpty Dumpty setting the wall if they want, but I wanted it. Once it has the effect. What, what, yeah, what, what no, effect, I wanted what effect did it they, have on, on, the, on the people who trolled Nicole? Uh, have you any... Obviously, we can't get specific, but obviously they had to, had to stop all of their actions. Um, I don't... 
I don't know because I haven't seen or heard of them. They're blocked off everything. Do you know, mm. I don't want to. I don't want to, to to know. So I don't know. But when I do interviews and I mention, um, you know, that they born her, they did, 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 and most people know who they are. So I'm still using them. I, although I don't use their name, I'm still highlighting of what they did, and yeah. other people will know it's them that did it. So. Can, can I ask you one, one other question? This is very, very yeah. important as well. If there are parents listening who are worried about their children, if there are young people listening who are mm-hmm. going through this sort of online or mental or physical or bullying yeah. abuse, um, I, I think one of the most important messages, you have to open up to those you trust. You have to tell a parent. You have to put the whole story out there. There's no shame in it. No, no, absolutely not. It's so, and I always say that it's so important to, to, to speak up, talk to your, your as you said, your, your family, your friends, your football coach, your, your teachers, anyone at all, because when it gets deeper and deeper into your head, you know, it's so hard to, to, to get it back out. Yeah. But I had nowhere with Nicole to, to turn. There was nothing. She had nothing. But now anyone that's listening in now, use Coco's Law. Oh, uh, and, and, you know, you have somewhere to go. Now, the other thing I, I would like to say, Mick, if you don't mind, um, if if someone has got not if I know there's so many people going through this and um, if you're going through this and um, and you and you have say evidence and you have screenshot and you have you know you have all the stuff here um, on your phone and you go down to the guards don't you say you want to make a complaint and show them all this and all because that's all you're doing you're only making a complaint you're not requesting anything and I found this out by a lot you know at the start ah so if you, if, if you make a complaint. It's mm-hmm. up to the guards to apply Coco's law, but if you want, if you complain somebody under Coco's law, they might be more obliged to react. A hundred percent. If you have to go in and say, "I want this investigated under Coco's law," so now you're requesting them to do something under a law that's here. So where if you just go in and say this, that's all you're doing. You're just showing them, and you're making a complaint, and it's going under into someone's drawer or left on the computer but if you go in and say I want this investigated under Coco's Law and I have to say Nick the guards actually go around the schools now as well explaining to, to, to students what Coco's Law is and the consequences the guards have been fantastic um, and they will they, they will help Yeah, and you know something in Nicole's memory uh, mm-hmm. and as part of her legacy and keeping mm-hmm. her name out there she is continuing now to help other people who went who are going through what she went through, uh, yeah. and that must be very heartening for a mom. Um, for for me, yeah, to have her name yeah. attached to all, all of this assistance for people there. I've got a text yeah. here uh, to, to to read to you, Jackie. I'd listened to you all morning. You're an yeah. inspiration. Uh, Mick Nicole's mom is an amazing woman, and she gave me the strength to go on when my teenage son was being bullied by a girl online. Uh, she is amazing. That's not signed, but it's from a grateful mum. Oh, really? And I get so many messages of to say that how I, I saved theirs or how I, how, how I saved their their kids and and how people are doing. People will contact me and let me know, you know, how they're doing so far. Like the, the, you know, because of the work that I'm doing, and um, you know, I would do <laughs> I would do anything to have my little girl back anything in the world but because that's not going to happen now I, I, I just feel that you know it's so important to, to help not only to help anyone to help the, the people that are being bullied under Coco's Law but to help the mum and dads um, that are worried sick yeah. that 
their kid could be in the same situation as Nicole um, and take her take her life because, uh, you know, so now the parents have somewhere to go and seek for help for for their kids. Or, Jackie, I'm, I'm, or, I'm sure the next time you're in Cork, um, you, sh- you should absolutely call out to us here and just come into studio. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure the next time you're in Cork, it'll, it'll be because there will be many schools now ringing us uh, to get your number to see will you come and speak to them. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're an inspiration in memory of Nicole and Coco's Law uh, which will keep her legacy going. Uh, yeah, thank you very, so thank you very much for coming on this morning. Thank you, thank you for having me. Brilliant to thank talk you. to you. Oh, thank you Thanks. so much. Bye-bye. Okay, that's, bye bye. Okay, bye 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 bye. Cheers. That's Jackie Fox. Now the Samaritans are available on one one six one two three one one six one two three. They can help you get the help you need. Uh, but if you are in a situation and are triggered in any way by some of the conversations we've just had. Uh, between myself and uh, Jackie Fox, uh, always open up to a trusted member of your family or your friends. Always. Um, a burden shared is a burden halved. Uh, if you don't feel that that's uh, an, an open option for you, and the Samaritans are always there to give a non-judgmental ear and advice on 116123. That's their phone number, 116123. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And I want to thank our next contributor for staying on the line and listening to the last interview and she has something very important to add herself. She's a colleague and a Red FM presenter and an influencer and that is Miriam Mullins. Good morning, Miriam. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. You heard that. Very poignant, very sad, very bittersweet, very positive yeah. in its own way. Uh, now, as an influencer, is it fair to say, and I, I, I don't get influenced... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not in that. I'm not in that cohort. But are, are you putting yourself up there for pot shots? Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like I think when you put yourself out there online, you it's kind of something that you know that when you do it, like not everyone's going to like you, not everyone's going to enjoy your content, and unfortunately, that's just that's just the way it is online. And your your content is based around what? I do a bit of everything, to be honest. I do um, like get ready with me to go to an event. So I do my makeup and my I show my outfit, and then I also do a few comedy skits here and there, like Irish mammy skits and things like that. It's a bit of everything, to be honest. Okay, so tell us about the backlash you got and how it started and how it affected you. I suppose. Um, I suppose I kind of when I first started off, um, I I when I started with TikTok, it was in the pandemic, so I started in March 2020. Um, and look, I suppose everyone was at home with their phones, like people didn't have much to do. We were all locked up in our houses, and it was just a time where people weren't very happy. And I think they, I grew very quickly in the first year. I gained a million followers in under a year. On a TikTok. million. Yeah. Yeah, in the first year, it was very rapid. Um, And I was posting about six videos a day starting off. Um, And look, I suppose people just, unfortunately, in Ireland, we have a bit of a begrudgery kind of... Some people can be just like that. And they just didn't like to see someone doing well, I think. And they just picked on certain things like my appearance, you know, what I was taught, how I sounded, my accent, um, just different things. Like, Mm. they just pick on whatever they can to be honest. What percentage of men, what percentage of women, or do you know? Um, to be honest, uh, I do find now it's a lot more men, but at starting off it was women. It's, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know, I think, because I've gone a bit more, I guess now that I'm on the radio and stuff, I do more mainstream media, 
men just they don't like to see like a woman going from like being a TikToker or a social media person to now like you know doing kind of like radio and like more mainstream things like that. It's very strange to see it, but starting off with definitely women, and it still is like I think women are can be quite um, jealous of others and stuff like that. But to be honest, like a lot of it is like fake accounts. Like they won't even show that it's them. Like a lot of it is like user one two three four five or yeah. like they have like no followers. It's all like a fake account, so it is actually very hard to see the gender of the person. But uh, it's a mixture, to be honest, right now. But yeah, yeah. Interesting thing you uh, thing you wrote uh, about some of the men. Uh, it's the same men sharing International Women's Day posts for their girlfriends and wives. Uh, the same men commenting horrible stuff under Red FM's post about me starting on radio. So there's a little bit of jealousy in there that you're. You got the radio gig, which is, of course, Monday to Thursday here at 7 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's, I love it. It's been really, really well. But, yeah, when I when I first shared that, like, um, there was a little bit of misogyny going on there. But I suppose, look, I've, I've learned to deal with it. Um, unfortunately, I've had to learn to deal with it with the job. Um, but, yeah, it was just bizarre to see it. Like, I think 90% of those comments were men. And I did have a lot of support from other men and from women being like, this is ridiculous, just a young girl, just doing well, whatever. But there's just people out there that just don't like to see that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. and of course you're, you you have to be a little thick-skinned as well uh, to take it, but you seem very positive. You're, not, you're just going to let these pot shots bounce off you, are you? No, like, and to be fair, I'm really lucky that I have, you know, like I've really, I guess, good men in my life. Like I'm very close to my dad, my brother, my boyfriend, and I, I do have really good men in my life who do support me and stuff like that. And that's something I'm really grateful for because, to be honest, a lot of women don't have that. And I think because I do have good men in my life, I, it doesn't really bother me as much, to be honest, because I know there are good men out there, you know? Yeah, is it important on the flip side uh, for, for men to have good women in their lives? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I think it has, it's definitely both ways. Like, Because I have friends, too, who are men and they do social media or males and it is I'll be honest it's a lot harder for men to do social media than women because of you know the kind of the lad culture and the gay culture and stuff like that like men are definitely a lot more um I suppose what's the word like I've seen men do well on social media and their friends are like oh yeah, yeah. Like, who does he think he is or whatever whereas girls are a lot more supportive of seeing girls do well online like my friend's most of them are girls, but they're all really, like, supportive of me and stuff, whereas I've kind of seen, like, with my boyfriend, for example, he does social media as well, and, like, men are just a bit weird about it all. Like, it's it's very interesting to see it. Yeah, the one, the one thing about men my age, Miriam, is that we can't type 200 words a minute with the side of our thumbs. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one or two fingers, and I, I marvel, especially at, at, at girls. They seem to be faster. Than, than the guys yeah. at the speed that you guys can text with your thumbs it's it's incredible so h- how did it all end it kind of died down I saw one of your comments go on out there Johnny one two three four five six seven and milk your cows and shear your sheep and cop on it's toxic yeah um, I suppose I just don't really uh, one thing is no reaction is the best reaction I don't react but when it is intense like that and there's like there's a lot of people commenting the same thing like of course you're going to get a bit annoyed and like I think I responded to one or two of them and like I went into that guy's page and he literally had a wife and like four kids and I was like can you imagine if your daughter started doing social media became her job and another man, an older man your age was like commenting about your daughter doing well or getting a job in radio or something. 
I was like, you'd be horrified, like, uh-huh. and I just don't understand it. So that's why I like replied to that comment or whatever because I know he just said something quite nasty or whatever. And but yeah, a lot of that goes on too. It's like men who have kids and daughters and stuff like that. And like, I think social media is still so new. Like people still don't actually realize that it's a job and. It can be, I suppose it's quite, people kind of look down on it a little bit because, like, I went to college and I have a degree or whatever, but that doesn't really matter because what I'm doing is, like, totally, but what I did in college was media, but, like, I could have done something totally different in college, but nobody knows that. They still think that, like, because I posted videos and I, it did well, I'm, like, dumb and I don't have a degree and I, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think people just don't, they don't even realise but this is actually like it's it's a it's a job and like people a lot of people are making a living out of it and social media is massive like like brands can't go without having social media it's the new marketing it's, yeah well, where where does someone like you learn to make a living on social media are there TikTok uh, kind of explanations are there YouTube explanations are there Instagram explanations is there a, is there a course you can take I, I see many people indulging in their hobbies traveling the world and making enough money to keep on doing so. Uh, through uh, making content, for instance, on YouTube uh, and opening a Patreon channel uh, where people can send them a dollar a video or whatever. Yeah, no, I I don't have any of that Patreon or anything like that. And actually with TikTok in Ireland, um, like I could post a video, it could get like 100 million views and I won't make a cent. Like I actually don't make any money at all off TikTok. So where do you make Um, your money online? So how I make my money is, it's like advertising. So a brand will come to me and they'll say, Miriam, we'd love for you to promote our product or our brand or whatever it is. And we'll obviously pay you to do it. So I'd be like, yeah, no problem. I'll just try out the product first, see if I like it or whatever it is. Or it could be a brand I already love. Um, and yeah, they'll, I'll post the video. I'll send the video. They'll give me an idea of kind of what they want. We'll work together on an idea, whatever it is. And then I'll post the video and then they'll pay me after. And that's how I make my money. It's okay. like advertising, basically. That sounds fair to me. So a lot of our heroes are people who win races. And I'm talking about male and female now, or climb mountains or score goals mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it's going to be in the hero section. So what, what would you say to the cowardly keyboard warriors out there that are trolling people? Um, I suppose it's, it's just a reflection on them really. Like I just think if you're somebody who sits at home and has a, like, a fake account and who likes to comment on someone else's life, there must be something going on in your life that is, you know, that's making you do that. Because I think anyone who's like happy and content just wouldn't do that. Like why would you bother spending your time and energy focusing on somebody that you don't even know? Like it's absolutely bizarre. Um, but look, look, people. Some people just that's just that's just their coping mechanism. They look exactly. to bring other people down. Very I'm, I'm going to ha- have to leave it there. Just, the studio's just been invaded by five men, <laughs> and I'm wondering what okay. they're doing here. But we'll find out in a moment. Best of luck to you with the program and in in growing the audience. And best of luck with whatever you do. Uh, and I hope you do it troll free and in a safe manner, and that you make lots of money as well. Well done, Miriam. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a million. Much. Cheers. Bye bye. This is Miriam Mullins, Red FM presenter and influencer. Five men in studio in a moment. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106. Okay, I'm going to try and squeeze as much info and fun out of five men in studio as I can in five minutes. Welcome to Mayfield Men's Shed. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, tell me all about it. It's it's for men who are essentially retired. To exactly. Something to do, a bit of camaraderie. 
bit of productivity. Yes, indeed, yeah. We were formed in, in 2016, and uh, since then we have no premises. Push up a bit no closer, premises there. of our own. So <clears throat> at the moment, we're starting a, a golf classic okay. to, for funding, where we have a shortfall of between fifteen and 19,000 euros. And uh, on Thursday next, which is the 14th of September, we're running a golf classic and... Uh, you know, we still have a few time tea times available. This is at East Cork Golf Club. That's East Cork, yeah. Eight o'clock in the morning till yeah. four on the fourteenth. Uh, kindly sponsored by Right Tiles, uh, Right Price Tiles, yep, and Woodfold Flooring. Uh, good yeah. man, Christianine. He's always good yeah. uh, for the bit of support. Us, yeah, he's very good to us. Yeah. Fifteen hundred euros in prize money as well. So still some uh, tea times there, and you can call Noel on oh eight seven six four nine five three two three if you want to support that. Oh eight seven six four nine five three two three. So where do you guys meet? Everyone's kitchen, or we have we meet in the Mayfield J Club on uh, every Tuesday morning, and we've been given the Mayfield Community School for our workshop on a Wednesday. So, but you know, we have a lovely choir. The choir was started because we had nothing else to do really. We had no shade of our own. So, Tiger here, he kept brought in his guitar, and it started from started from there. And uh, one of our one of our main guitarist who couldn't make it this morning, Lee Larry. He wrote a song, uh, which Charlie will, will, will fill me okay. in on that. Yeah. Fill me in. Can you play it then? No. <laughs> not, not at the moment, thanks. But, uh, no, but yeah, okay. he, he wrote a song called Stadio Bene Fide Caritas, which is the motto, which is the motto for the, the, the Port of Cork, isn't it? And we've performed it in the Firkin Crane and we're performing on the 22nd in Cork City Library. And okay. So, yeah. 22nd. But yeah. you do have a song for us, do you? We do. What is it? Golden Silver Days. All right. You want to blast into that? Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mayfield Men's Shed. Just to, just to figure, we have 19 in, 19 in the choir, but we're only five. There's 19 in the choir, just five playing here today on Cork's Red FM. As I'm sitting by the firelight and turning back the I can hear my mother singing in the morning As she scrubs her shiny faces and unpacks us off to school All too soon those days are over without warning So sing In the chorus As we sang this song at twilight Or the moon behind the hill 
world whose voices now are silent Gone before us So sing me a song Of our gold and silver days Days filled with innocence and love Not a penny to our name And we were happy We gathered at the daisy field on Sunday afternoon, and we danced to Johnny Quigley on the royal. Through the years we all were scattered, but those friends were good and true. Always there when they were needed. Always loyal So sing me a song On the gold and silver day And the strains of Mayfield Men's Shed We say goodbye to you from the program this morning My thanks to the program producers Seamus Whelan and Claire O'Connor Not a penny to our name We were happy just the same Mayfield Men's Shed will give the uh, Men's Shed and the Golf Classic another big plug for you tomorrow. Right now we got to go. Tempest has done the old fugit and Lauren Lynch is up at news. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.